All right, rock stars, this episode is brought to us in part by the amazing salt stick. You can hydrate all you want during your training, your racing, throughout the rest of the day to catch up on your fluids. But if your water does not have enough electrolytes in it, it's pretty much useless. It'll just run right through you. You got to make your water stick to you with salt stick. Check this out. Athletes that took salt stick finished a half Ironman race and an average of 26 minutes faster than the control group. In a study, research took a bunch of triathletes and gave half of them salt stick capsules and the other half just sports drinks. The athletes that took the salt stick capsules finished a 70.3, that's a half Ironman, race in an average of 26 minutes faster than the control groups. That's because it allows you to stay hydrated. It makes your water stick. You can make your water stick with salt stick by getting 25% off your order with discount code ZENTRY25 on the website shopsaltstick.com. Now, that's only in the United States, but you can find Salt Stick in 30 countries via the website saltstick.com and using our store locator available from the top menu. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the show. Here we go. You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we improve ourselves through endurance and learn a little bit of Zen along the way. All right, this show is kick butt because we have a return guest. This is one of my favorite, favorite guests because he gets it done on such a high level and also tells us how he does it. It is Rob Gray. Rob Gray won overall at Ironman, or Ultraman, which is a three-day triathlon. He won Ultraman Florida last fall, and then he turned around and, well, it was a fall ago, (laughs) over a year ago, and then he turned around and trained all year round and focused specifically on competing in the Ultraman World Championships in Hawaii, which is three days around the big island of in Hawaii. And he uh, got second. He got runner-up. He got passed on the run at the very end. But it is uh, just an amazing accomplishment. He's a age grouper triathlete. Just all around uh, kick butt, really smart guy, and very analytical, and details exactly how he did it. And we're going to talk about what he, how he trained, how he fueled, how he paced himself, how he raced, and all these, all these, all these questions that I ask. I love asking these very successful athletes these questions because this is stuff. I ask it in a way where. You can take what they say and use it yourself, bits and pieces of it. And we'll get to that, for example, in the news story about Terenzo Bozzoni here in a minute, too. But uh, it's an hour-long episode about this stuff, and it's just fascinating um, how he did it. And it gives you ideas of, like, triathlon is, because it's a mix of three different sports, 
and you can only be truly exceptional in like one sport, maybe two, but not really. Uh, it's triathlon is not a sport where it's the most gifted person that wins. It's the person that that successful people that get all the way up to being you know front of the pack, uh, pro- professionals, champions in the sport are the people that just train the most consistently. And, you know, they'll be an exceptional swimmer, but that doesn't really help you. They'll be an exceptional biker. Well, that doesn't really help you. They'll be an exceptional runner. Well, that doesn't, I mean, that's great, but you're usually not very gifted in the swim. You're exhausted by the time you get to the run anyway. So it goes on and on like this. So it's the person that's the most successful in even consistent training and does the fewest things to screw up his or her (laughs) race and training that actually does the best. It comes down to fueling and uh, hydration and consistency and smart training. And the person that does that the best is actually uh, will be, you know, the most successful on race day and just have the best long-term, you know, career in this stuff. And the point of that is, is that you listening right now, you could be exceptional at triathlon if you just do the right stuff. And, that's why we have people like Rob Gray on the show. Truly exceptional athlete and very open about how he trains. He's also a coach, which is really kick butt, and uh, details uh, you know nutrition and training plans and stuff. So I'm super excited to have him on the show. Boy, that was a long intro for Rob Gray. Just what a big fan I am of, of him. And let's see, we've got him and we have... Uh, some triathlon news, and then I go into the training log a little bit about uh, veganism and fasting and some other stuff that uh, I've been uh, experimenting with lately, and we talk about all that stuff. So let's go ahead and get started at the front with some triathlon news. Here we go. All right, the biggest news story going on right now is at the beginning of December, pro triathlete triathlete Terenzo Bazzoni, and it's spelled Bazzone, B-O-Z-Z-O-N-E, but if you're, if you're in the know, you say Bazzoni. Anyway, he's from New Zealand. He's, it's an Italian name, obviously, but he's from uh, New Zealand, and he is a phenomenal triathlete. I think he's a world champion at the half Ironman distance, but for eight years or so, he's been trying to be successful at the full Ironman distance, and is had trouble here and there, uh, never really uh, knocking it out of the park, Uh, maybe finishing on the podium, but never even winning one of the smaller ones or, you know, none of that stuff. And then he turned around and won Ironman Western Australia, not only won it, broke the course record, beat Andy Potts, uh, went 7.51, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 751 in a full Ironman and finally had his breakthrough performance of, of, of winning a full Ironman. And this is really great. Terenzo Bazzoni is, uh, he's an all around like super cool guy. He's been on the Rich Roll podcast, a very mellow down to earth. I was actually in a race that he was in a long time ago and uh, really enjoyed uh, being around him. He's a super cool guy. And to see him actually have this uh, breakthrough performance is fantastic. Everybody's been rooting for him for a long time to finally figure this out. The key is 
how did he do it? And this is where we can all learn something. He said that in Kona, in October, the World Championships, uh, what happened to him is what's been happening to him a lot of times is he bloated up and started swelling and then um, had to drop out on the on the run and uh, just had just a bad day. And it was really disappointing because he spent all summer uh, training and he has a wife and at least one kid. And that's a real bummer, uh, taking all that time away from his family and then having a crappy race in front of the world. And he, uh, after that race, I think he finally had enough and sat down and tried to figure out with some other people what was going on. And they said the bloating is caused by uh, sodium, This what the sodium does, too much sodium. Which they figured out he was probably taking in twice as much sodium as he should have been. And, and I never got the number, um, how much it is. That'd be interesting. People can tweet at him and ask him how much he was taking and how much he's taking now. And, uh, and what that does, this is really interesting. What that does, yeah, it hydrates you. Too much sodium, well, sodium hydrates you. But if you take too much, what it does is it keeps the sodium in your uh, bloodstream, in your, in your uh, it keeps the water because uh, water likes to stick with salt, it keeps the water in your um, in your bloodstream and in your body, uh, like your skin and everything, and not going to your muscles uh, where it should be going. And maybe it keeps it in your stomach or whatever, but it 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 kind of prevents the hydration from going to where it's supposed to go because it's too busy hanging out and partying with all the salt <laughs> and. That ends up being a problem. So that your both your water and your hydration and your fuel can't go to where you need it to go because the water is stuck with the salt, and that's what happens when you take too much sodium. I did not know that that that's actually the end result of taking too much sodium. That's really interesting. So we all need to know that and uh, can use that in future races. Like, how do you figure out how much sodium you should take? Uh, I don't know. Um, I guess there's some tests you can take. I'm going to start looking into that. I thought that was really interesting. And so once he figured that out, he went and did Ironman Western Australia. He cut his sodium in half, did Ironman Western Australia. First place, broke the course record, 7.55. Unbelievable. He beat Luke McKenzie's record uh, that Luke set uh, just last year. So that's pretty crazy. All right. That's all the uh, major news in the in the world of triathlon. It's kind of kind of slow going right now because we're in the winter, and uh, the only thing where things are going on, the only place where things are going on, in the southern hemisphere, like uh, Australia, with that Ironman Western Australia. But also, I wanted to mention. Let's see. I have been getting into making uh, smoothies, green smoothies again, and it's really nice. Um, uh, quite a few years ago. Four or five years ago, five years ago now, I went raw vegan for a year, and I don't recommend that. I learned that um, you should eat cooked food. Uh, at first, you feel awesome, but then after a while, you stop getting in enough calories. I was raw vegan-ish. I still ate a little bit of cooked food, but not enough. And then um, I think that's what started giving me teeth problems. There's a lot of raw vegans you see on the internet, and then they kind of disappear off of YouTube after a while after their teeth start falling out. <laughs> the cavities. Uh, maybe there's something in cooked food 
that uh, uh, you know helps uh, strengthen your teeth. I started getting my teeth didn't start falling out, but I started getting like little tiny cavities kind of here and there, and I was like, eh, something's up with this, and I started running out of energy. But I was um, super duper vegan for a for almost a year, and that was the same year that. I did so well in a race. They had qualifier spots for Alcatraz. I got second overall, uh, second in my age group in a huge triathlon that had uh, Alcatraz spots. So I qualified for Alcatraz. Um, I guess earlier that, just a couple months before that, I uh, ran 100 miles, a uh, 100-mile trail race and finished. I didn't bonk until mile 92. And then I also... This was 2011. I also swam Alcatraz, uh, which was really cool. And then uh, later that summer, I swam 22 miles across uh, south to north across Lake Tahoe and all this stuff all in one year. And then at the end of the year, I was just uh, just tired like all the time and uh, probably probably for being uh, raw vegan, uh, which is not the same as regular vegan whatsoever. Um, but now let's fast forward. There's a, there's a point behind all this. The, uh, over the past year, uh, my plantar fasciitis got so bad that now I need to not run and bike as much. And, uh, my weight is creeping up and it's getting really annoying. And also I'm just never really been comfortable with all the, all the meat and fat and stuff like that. It just doesn't seem all that healthy. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to try going vegan uh, again, but of course do cook food like potatoes, right? Baked potatoes. And, uh, I, I don't know, just whatever. It doesn't really matter to me. It can be, it can be cooked, you know, to a billion degrees. I don't care. And, um, it turns out when you, when you, uh, cook food that releases, um, other nutrition, uh, that you need, obviously. And, um, if you don't, if you eat just raw, like raw veggies and raw fruits, stuff like that all the time, you're missing out on um, a lot of stuff that gets released when you actually cook food. Yeah, it kills some vitamins and minerals and stuff to cook it, but it also activates a whole bunch more that over, you know, millennia humans have evolved to uh, need and, uh, and use. And therefore, because we use it a lot through evolution, you know, we tend to need it. And that's, you know, duh. So, Back to the point of the story with uh, smoothies is I um I know for a fact that if I make green smoothies that I lose weight. And so I was like, man, I'm gonna go vegan again and just try that for a while. And also a big part of that is well, actually, I think I decided to start making green smoothies first, and I started feeling so good that I said, you know what, I think I just might go uh, vegan again. And it's so interesting. That having done something once, the casualness of going back around and doing it again um, is so awesome uh, because I'm not trying to figure out everything for the first time. I wish I could make sense in a way to explain to people that are interested in going vegan about tell them to just relax. Don't make it such a big deal. If like um, we were having brownies around Christmas and I said, uh, is there eggs in this? And then we said, oh, yeah. And I go, ah, well, whatever. You know, it's a mistake. Who cares? And I was eating some uh, mashed potatoes the other day and some uh, spinach. And then I realized halfway through, there was some butter in there. And I was like, oh, oh, well, you know, it's just like 
Oh, and I made a bowl of cereal um, the other day, and I realized after I got done pouring the the milk, I use coconut milk like all the time on everything, um, that the milk I just used was regular whole milk that, uh, you know, cow's milk that Emily and Kai use. And I was like, ah, oh, oh well, <laughs> I just ate that. I'm not going to throw the cereal out, right? And just the casualness of it and being, uh, so I would say like for the past two weeks or so, I've been mostly vegan because no, no meat that I can think of, but um, dairy and, and egg have managed to uh, slip in a few times once every couple days, and I just don't care because it's so mo- it's so uh, minimal that it doesn't really bother me, and um, I'll get better at it as I go along. And I think that's a really good lesson: is to don't make it such a big deal, and you just get better at it as you go along, and just work on the little things. And it takes time for you to adjust, and it takes time for your family to adjust. I had dinner with Emily tonight. And uh, Kai is gone off at triathlon training camp for three days. So Emily and I went out to dinner and I met her uh, and she had already ordered the appetizer and it was calamari and, you know, which is squid. And uh, when I showed up, she goes, oh, crud, I already ordered uh, calamari. And uh, but because I haven't been a jerk about any of this and, you know, been like you're wrong or whatever. I just said, oh, okay, well, um, and then Emily on her own said, the waitress uh, walked by, she goes, hey, can I change my uh, appetizer order? I forgot, he's uh, not eating meat right now. And uh, the waitress goes, oh yeah, that's no problem. Uh, What about this hummus stuff? And I go, yeah, that'd be cool. And then it was just no big deal, no big deal, you know? And if if the calamari was delivered as calamari, you know, the appetizer was delivered as calamari, I would have been just like, oh, well, um, I'm just not gonna eat that. Um, and, and just not make a big deal out of it. So to the, uh, smoothie thing, this is really interesting because this is also the Zen topic of the podcast that I want to cover for this episode is systems and making something your own. So there is something about when you make, uh, something into a system, all of a sudden it goes from being work, something that you don't want to do and something you want to procrastinate against. And the big thing I'm always talking about this for is like being organized and getting your workouts done. Always seems like so much work. And people that listen to the show for a long time know this show is half about uh, just getting things done, how to get things done. But the uh, if you make a system out of something, all of a sudden you you take kind of it now it's yours and you got a little bit of ownership in it and you want to see it succeed and now you're kind of emotionally invested and involved in it succeeding because it's your system that you did and also when a system works uh psychologically uh in the back of your mind you're right and it, you love being right we all love being right <laughs> right and if you prove that you're right by your system working, then uh, then it feels good, and then now it's no longer work. And then the other thing is with the system, the system is many steps. It's like, it's, you know, two, three, four, five, six steps of things, and then you want to see it start, and then you want to see the pieces kind of flow as they go and work in synchronicity, kind of like music moving from one, you know, movement to another, to another, to another. And uh, when the system works, 
uh, you're in, you like watching it work, but you're involved in it, so you're making it work, and that's how things, uh, how you can change something that you don't want to do, like getting up in the morning to go work out. If you develop a system of how you get it done and how you get it, how you get started, actually, then all of a sudden there's it's way way easier. So let me give you an example. The most uh, primitive version of it is a system of a farmer having, you know, in the fall, I grow this crop over here. And while uh, this field lays uh, fallow, fallow, I don't know what the word is, but then while, uh, and then when this crop, uh, we pick everything off this crop, then we thresh it and then we put it over here over in these fields, and then we let the sheep go over here, and they they uh, eat the leftover parts, and they, and they uh, fertilize with their poop, and then over here, we grow this crop, because when this crop grows, it ends up fertilizing the ground, like clover, I think is like that, I don't know, but it puts nitrogen back in the ground, it fixes nitrogen back into the ground, maybe peanuts do that too, or whatever, and then, uh, then when we grow, after that, when we pick all that, uh, the next crop we grow will grow even better, and that's our cash crop. So that'll grow better. And so you got a system, and you're doing things. And every time that it works, you're right. So when I uh, was doing, what made me think about talking about in this podcast is I don't like unloading the dishwasher. But then today I was unloading the dishwasher, and I kind of turned things into a system, and it was fun. The flow of first I do the uh, the silverware, right? And while the silverware, I'm doing that. I kind of eyeball the other stuff, and in my mind, I'm eyeballing where it should, where these like random pot, the, the things that keep you from wanting to do things is randomness. And I'm like, so while I'm doing the silverware, I'm looking at these random pots and pans, and I'm like, where do they go? And by the time I'm done with the silverware, I've got in my mind where to put the other things. And then once I put the uh, the random big things in places where they should go, spatulas and you know whatever, then I go, all right, now. Um, I can wrap up with the easy thing, which is the glasses. Uh, put those, those are easy to uh, put where they want to go. And then I close the dishwasher and then I flip the thing on the front that says uh, clean the dirty. Uh, that means dirty, means it's ready to be loaded again by whoever else. And um, I've got my little system. And when I get up in the morning to uh, go work out, I've got my system. First, I have a cup of coffee, then I do this, and then I do that, and then I get this, and I put it by the door, and then I go find this, and I put this by here, and I go there, and I have my little system, and then I go grab my shirt, and this, and I got everything all set up, and it's a system, and it just works. And then, with the green smoothie, I figured out a system that I really like is I use blueberries in my green smoothie and it turns my green smoothie. Oh, and I measure the blueberries in the top of the Vitamix blender. You know, it has a lid on it. I turn it upside down. I do the blueberries first. And when I put frozen blueberries are the best. Uh, when I measure them out in that top, I'm involved now, right? And not that many people put blueberries in their uh, smoothie, and guess what blueberries do? They make the smoothie, oh, and hemp powder too, which is kind of unusual, but um, it's the highest plant, it's the, it's the plant protein with the highest amount of protein in it. So blueberries turn the, um, the green smoothie blue. <laughs> And now it's no longer a green smoothie. It's a blue smoothie. And I'm like, I don't drink green smoothies. I drink blue smoothies, 
which is a little psychological trick I'm playing. I own it now. It's my system, and then I own it, and now I'm invested. And now I enjoy making... Sorry, hiccup. And now I enjoy making them, and now you have to kind of try to stop me from making them. So you can use this kind of technique whenever you're trying to get your stuff done. And then once you get involved with the system, uh, Scott Adam from Dilbert fame uh, says this, do not try to do things. Build systems instead and then let the systems do things and then enjoy watching the systems. I have a system for for, uh, filling uh, Hornet juice orders when people call... Uh, send an email in for Hornet juice. I sit down, I have a filter in my email that brings out just the Hornet juice. I open up three different tabs and I have this tab that does this and that tab that does that and that tab that does that. I have some copy and paste that goes on where I go back and forth between the different things and it's a system and then I enjoy it and I play um, downbeat music while I do it. So I'm just into the system and I'm doing it and then it's done and when I'm done and I finish, guess what? I feel good and I feel like I'm right because the system works. It's really cool. So if you can do this kind of stuff for your um, for your own stuff, uh, for getting your workouts in, because like I was saying earlier, it's all about consistency and getting it done, then you have your system. Uh, my, my system for going swimming is I, um, I have a swim bag, a Speedo, a large Speedo swim bag that's mesh. All the stuff goes in there. And then uh, all the swim toys, which we'll talk about later in the show. And we, I go to the pool. I get a top locker with an odd number. That way it's up high because I'm tall. And a lower locker just drives me crazy. And they know my system. They're like, odd number locker? I go, yep. <laughs> And I go and I, uh, I get my swim stuff on. I take the bag out to the pool. I hop in. I start swimming. And then I got my toys. And it makes the swim workout go by, which I talk about later in the show, uh, super fast because of different toys, which is another psychological trick on yourself. Var- variety makes time go by faster. And the pool can be really boring. And uh, then I get out. And I take my bag and everything right to the gang showers and I set it on the bench on the side of the gang showers. And in my swim bag is also my shampoo, the anti-chlorine shampoo and the conditioner. And I uh, shower and get all the chlorine off and clean up. And then I go to my locker, open it up with my locker key. And um, that saves time, not going to my locker first to get stuff out. The stuff is already in my swim bag. Now, see, I'm right right? That feels good. I'm right. I'm saving time, I think, because I think I am. (laughs) And every time I do it, I think I'm right. It feels good that I have my own little system that seems to work. Whether it does or not is irrelevant. (laughs) It's just that it feels like it works. That is important. And I I go back to my locker, open it up, and then I put on, you know, my deodorant and and my work clothes and stuff like that. And then I uh, pack up all my stuff, walk out the front, hand them to the locker, hand them the key to my locker. They hand me back the key to, uh, to my car. And cause that's what you have to trade to get a locker key. You should. And then I go to my car and I'm done. I'm done just like that. And it's just like clockwork, no drama, no whatever. And it's a system. And I enjoy watching the system work. So you can come up with these same kind of systems for, um, for your swim, bike and run yourself depending on your own situation. All right. That was a whole lot of 
uh, Zenflow, <laughs> and also um, uh, how to get stuff done. All right, and uh, fasting and veganism, which we'll talk about more in the uh, towards the end of the show. All right, so that's enough about uh, my crazy life. Uh, we do more of that after the interview with the training log. I take you with me out training, um, so we don't need to do any more of that now. What we do want to do now is talk with Mr. Rob Gray about second place at Ultraman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. And uh, I should mention before we get into the interview that uh, uh, two things. One is that, uh, because I never really talk about it in the show, day one is a 10K swim, 6.2 mile open ocean swim, kind of along the coastline of the southwest, west side of the big island around Hawaii. And then a 90 mile bike ride going going east around the southern uh, side of Hawaii. And it goes, it finishes on at the uphill, majorly uphill. It's just a climb, like pretty much all day. And uh, so that's a 90 something mile bike ride. Day two is a 170 ish mile bike ride. And that's, that's what they do day two. You get to, they add your times together each day and you get to rest and recover overnight. And then uh, day three is a double marathon uh, well, the day two bike ride wraps around most of the, uh, the edge of the island of Hawaii, almost back to the beginning again, uh, where you started. And then the day three marathon, uh, day three is a double marathon <laughs> from where they finished on the bike on day two uh, to where they started on the swim on day one. So it's a circumnavigation is what they call that around the big island of Hawaii. It's super cool. Uh, that it's a point-to-point race that also finishes in the same spot because it makes a big loop. That's very neat. And the second thing is if you want to learn more about Rob Gray before we even finish the interview, because we talk like an hour or so, is that um, you can go find him on uh, robgray.org, R-O-B-G-R-A-Y.org. Um, I think he's from uh, South Africa originally. That's where his accent is from. And he did blog posts about each day at Ultraman. So you can go check that out. And you know what? Actually, a third thing is at the very end of the interview, I ask him if he, this is one of my favorite moments in, uh, in all the interviews I've ever done is you, you have one of these, you have these moments on occasion every, every so often where there's a real something that you'll never forget is when I asked him, does he feel like that this is his thing um, that he's going to, you know, go back next year and, um, and, you know, try to try to win the full thing again. Is this something he's going to be focused on? He's really successful at doing full Ironmans. He's qualified for Kona a bunch, I think. And uh, so, you know, he's reached the peak in that. So is this is going to be his focus for a while. Um, instead, doing Ultraman instead. And he said, there's like, I think there was a pause. And then he said, yes, definitely, definitely. And th- you can just tell like the smile in his voice, the the happiness and the fulfillment. This is something that he's, it's so cool to to be talking with somebody about something that they're good at 
and something they enjoy and something that's still a challenge, right? He hasn't won it. And even if you did win it, you could lose it again next year. And uh, the conditions are always different. It's it's very tough. You know, it's a three-day event. And it's not like a 5K. <laughs> so uh, there's always, um, you know, the, the work you have to do to make it happen. But just the fulfillment, self-fulfillment in his voice and the happiness that he's doing something that he really, really enjoys uh, made me feel... Um, really happy inside. I loved that and I'll never forget that. And I think that's a point um, when you find something in your own endurance sports, in your own life, doing your own job, whatever. When, when you get to that point uh, where you're engaged in a battle against something and you, you like it, that's where we all want to be and he's there. And it was a real honor to uh, discover that at the end of the interview. And so listen for that at the end. I love it. All right, let's go ahead and get started with Mr. Rob Craig. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. Hey, Brett, how you doing? Good, Rob. How are you feeling? Yeah, still pretty sore, actually. But uh, <laughs> other than that, pretty good. God, I was hoping so. If you said that you weren't sore, I was <laughs> that you're not human or something. No, man, very, very much human. It was, uh, yeah, usually after something like an Ironman, I'm sore for two days, third day starts getting a bit better. You're right. Man, this time around, it was, you know, the, the run was on the Sunday, uh -huh. and I think the next Saturday was the first time I could actually walk down a flight of stairs without assistance or holding on the banister was yeah, and it's still pretty sore like I, I can at least walk now but yeah if i kind of poke my quads it's uh it's still still a bit sensitive oh my gosh yeah so we, <laughs> so this is really great we've got rob gray here with us on the call and uh, i was looking on skype and actually you and i talked about nine months ago after you did florida ultraman florida and yeah. uh which you you won that, right? You got first place at Florida. Correct. And yeah. that qualified you for uh, Hawaii, the the world champs. And yeah. I saw in, on your, um, I'm going to link to it, on your blog post, you did a really great, like a three-page or four-page uh, write-up on uh, the race at in Hawaii. And you said that actually there's a lottery to get into that. Uh, but you didn't want to wait on that because you wouldn't know if you yeah. get in. That's a lot of training to not know if you're really going to get in or not. Yeah, so the way it works is you can you, – there's two options. You can either do another Ultraman mm -hmm. and uh, you can actually – you can usually get in regardless of your results. So you, even if you just finish another Ultraman, you've got a pretty good chance of actually getting into the one in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you haven't done an Ultraman, let's say you've done a bunch of Ironmans and you've got a good – resume of other endurance stuff you can apply on the wait list and the issue with the wait list is they only tell you in august whether you're going to be racing in november so mm -hmm. it's it, it is really taking a big gamble that you may or may not get in and you really need to start the preparation long before august if you're going to be in good shape to actually execute a good race in november so i i went yeah. the what I call the safe route in doing the Ultraman Florida as my 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 way into the one in in Hawaii. Right. 
And what, yeah, what's cool is you show on your blog just a small sample of some of the, talking about the training, the months and months of training. And uh, it, it, I could not believe some of those numbers. The, uh, the 167 CTL points. And uh, can you tell, tell people what uh, CTL is? Yeah, so the so in training peaks they have this uh, this concept of uh, training stress, which really allows you to be uh, pretty scientific around around your training. So they they can allocate a training stress score or TSS uh, for every workout, run, bike, and swim, and then you basically think of it almost like a like a stock chart. The you you get a TSS per day. And your seven-day moving average, so your average of the last seven days, your total training stress score per day, your TSS per day, is basically the, the seven-day moving average. That's kind of like your short-term uh, training stress. And then the, the long-term fitness is, is like a 42-day moving average. So this is your average training stress per day over 42 days. And that's, that's roughly equivalent with your uh, fitness level. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, the inverse to your seven-day moving average is what they call your training stress balance, and that, that yeah, that's almost an indication of uh, your, your your fatigue level. So you know, an extremely negative TSB number, your training stress balance, means that uh, you should probably uh, take some recovery. And your what you want is for the the forty-two-day moving average to have this continual upward trend. So. You have a hundred to give you an idea of a, of of what some of these numbers would be. If you had to ride a you know, on your bike an absolute flat out time trial for one hour, that would be about a score of a hundred uh, one hundred TSS. Right. So a score of one one sixty seven, which is the you know the the kind of like the CTL the forty two day moving average, mm-hmm. is equivalent to doing. Uh, you know, riding for you know, over one and a half hours a day as as hard as you can ride for an hour. Um, of course, that's not what I do. It's, you know, there's a lot of very long rides involved in that and mm-hmm. uh, long runs as well. But it's basically you, the training stress is based on uh, your know, percentage of your threshold effort on the bike and your your threshold pace on the run. Uh, and similarly on the swim, although I, you know, I tend to not uh, place too much emphasis on the the swim scores because. You can recover pretty quickly from even a pretty high uh, training load on the swim. Right. Yeah. I um, you posted your graph uh, since because it, it's just over time and yeah. it's the blue line with some shading under it, so it kind of yes. looks like a it looks like a mountain range kind of. And you yeah. can you pointed out that with uh, Ultraman Florida, you know, yours was one. I think you said like something like one twenty, and yeah. then uh, in the one twenties, and then you show the growth, uh, some rest, plenty of rest, and then some growth over time. Like you had like a smaller peak and then the big peak towards, um, as you, right before Ultraman, uh, Hawaii, because you need to take, you know, uh, a few, like a week or two or three to start tapering down. So that, that score starts dropping again as you rest and recover. And I remember, I started using this for the first time seriously. It's a it's a feature in Training Peaks. It's so cool because I read um, Gordo Byrne, yeah. um, who's a legend in Ultraman. He said, I think it had to do with just uh, training for a regular Ironman. He said, um, 
you know, most, uh, most Kona qualifiers, uh, train around 140. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what we kind of aim for. If someone, mm -hmm. if someone comes to me and says, Hey, I want to, I, I want to train enough to be on the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the cusp of qualifying for Kona, you kind of want to target around the 140 mark. And, you know, of course there's, there's some other things to take into account, but that's, that's a trend we see, you know, across, across your know, different coaches who, you know, who look at training peaks and who use training peaks. Um, you know, a lot of it is around that 140 mark where people are, are in the Kona qualification yeah. ballpark. And yeah. I, I thought it was so cool because I had, uh, this was before army in Canada. I had like six months and I was already at like 120, and I was I said, oh, I just need to grow at just this tiny percentage every day, and with some breaks mixed in. And so I actually followed the graph as my training plan, just building up that yeah. stress score, and it was wonderful. It, like I knew deep down inside that I was training correctly, and that I, I would be um, capable of completing the race, you know, in a nice time, because I was doing, you know. I was training as somebody that really knows what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. yeah, it was really cool. You just, the only thing is you have to have your, um, you have to have your, uh, it's not your score. You have to have your calibration set correctly. Like you said, your, your thresholds. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you got to have your threshold set accurately. Uh, yeah, mainly for run and bike. I actually, yeah, when I'm, when I'm doing what you just described, like following the graph with training, I, I tend to just have a, um, it's called the performance manager chart in, mm -hmm. in training peaks. And I just, right. you can select which sports it's, it's, uh, taking that score from. So I just choose uh, bike and run and follow that. And I swim, you know, swim as much as I like basically, right. but it's, a, it's actually a really good way of doing it, especially once you get to know how your body responds to various data points. You know, like I know if I get to a, uh, you know, the, the fatigue level of, minus 65 if i don't take a few days easy i'm looking for trouble and every time i go below that sure isn't sure enough a few days later i'll get sick or i start feeling you know some injuries coming along so now i know just based on you know many years of using this that for me you know that level of you know negative fatigue is you know, i, I kind of know what my limits are and everyone's different and mm -hmm. but you know, by using it over time you get to know what those points are that's a really useful tool Okay, so now uh, training for this, you're 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 in, and you've begun your training many many months ahead of time, and uh, you make uh, you made some notes about some unique things that you did, uh, lots of unique things. Two things that I picked out. Well, one, you're living in Boulder, which is higher altitude, which yeah. is really nice, and you're training through the summer, so that gives you more daylight hours to be out training, and you posted numbers like the difference the numbers uh, the volume that you did um compared to uh what you did for ultraman hawaii or um, florida and it made me wonder i mean you did uh, obviously you did fantastic at, at florida i mean you won it but yeah. were you in a way i would not say sandbagging <laughs> but were you were you you were there just to get your first ultraman experience and to just um just complete it and uh and the fact that it's uh florida is like so so flat because you're you you still did just amazingly well um because your uh your numbers are are a lot lower or would you say that maybe you trained you responded better to um to the lower numbers um i'm, I'm not really a good responder to lower numbers i basically did what i could so the 
Yeah, in the build-up to Florida, I did um, I did Ironman Arizona in the in November. So Ultraman Florida is in February. So that was in February this year, 2016. Right. Uh, I did Ultraman. I did Ironman Arizona in November 2015. So that was kind of a good. Yeah, that's a good foundation. So mm-hmm. you you reasonably fit. I did. Yeah, I did okay there. Um, at 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 Ironman Arizona. So all I really had to do was do some very Ultraman specific stuff. Right. But the kicker is that it was over winter in Boulder. So mm-hmm. there's very few days where I could actually go and run outside. Right. And for your long runs, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not the sort of guy that can go and run 30 miles on a treadmill. No way. No. So, no. No. so my long runs were very limited. I probably had four long runs over 25 miles in that sort of three month, uh, three month build after Ironman Arizona, mainly due to weather constraints. Uh, likewise for long rides. I had all my rides on the train. I had one long ride outside, which was six hours, which is, yeah, you know, which is kind of, you know, it's borderline you know, enough, but not not really to have a uh, to have a super solid race at Ultraman. Right. So it felt like I did the absolute minimum that I uh, that I could get away with for for Ultraman Florida, mm-hmm. but I didn't really have it. It was very difficult to train over the winter, and just due to the better weather conditions over summer. More daylight hours. Obviously, it's warm. Uh, it was actually pretty hot here as well, as to get some good heat acclimation. Right. I had many, many rides of seven plus hours. I probably did four or five rides of over 150 miles. So it's just a really, you know, really significant the difference in in training volume, uh, as well as as well as the training quality that I had, especially on the run. Uh, you know, I had I had several run weeks where I was running over 65 miles a week. I had uh, my biggest run week was 91 miles a week right. and it, just a, a lot more volume than the 45 to 50 miles a week I was doing before Ultraman Florida. Yeah, so if people want to go look at the, the volume numbers, because that's always a nice thing to kind of target, um, Florida, you were doing average uh, 30 miles of run-in per week yeah. and then your biggest one was 55 and then uh, your average for uh hawaii was 41 and like you said that big week of 91 and then yeah the bike the bike hours (laughs) it's just awesome did you ever have to go and have have somebody pick you up because you just like you were halfway through a bike ride and then you realized you need to cut it short and just somebody come get me because i'm just (laughs) exhausted no yeah and i and i purposefully structure my bike ride so that if i do end up in that situation Uh uh-huh uh, that I'm actually a long way from home, and I, it kind of forces me to get back home. Yeah, I think it was it was one of the you know, the big big Ironman guys. It might have been Scott Molina who used to do this. He used to go. He used to purposefully go and do a long ride, uh, like four hours before sunset, and he would turn around at like two hours ten minutes. So he actually had to negative split his ride to get back before the sun went down. Oh man! Uh, and that would kind of force him to to get the training done. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I, if I do loops close to home which yeah there's great riding in boulder i can go do the ironman boulder bike course but at any given point within that course i'm like 30 minutes from home so if i feel like i'm ready to stop i just go home so what i did i would do things like i'd wake up and say hey i'm gonna ride to wyoming today so now you go out ride (laughs) the the day that i did that i I almost (laughs) got to wyoming and then the the wind was so bad it was like these you know 55 mile per hour winds that were it was yeah. actually blowing me off out of the shoulder on the highway. So I figured it's probably better to be alive than say I rode to Wyoming. So about 10 minutes, uh, 10 miles before 
the border, I turned around. But yeah. you know, that's kind of like 80 miles into the ride. So you know, I had no option but to ride all the way back home. The shortest distance home was 80 miles. So that meant I had a, you know, I, I was definitely in for a 160-mile ride that day. Wow, that is impressive. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, people go check this out. It's really, it's really nice that you, you documented all these numbers because um, it gives people an idea. All right, let's take a break from the interview and mention Amrita Bars. I just had one. Where is it? Where's the wrapper? It was the chocolate maca, maca, maca attack. Let's see. Let me go get it right here because they have regular energy bars and then they have their recovery energy bars. Here. Oh, Amrita, plant-based nutrition, chocolate maca, 15 grams of protein in one bar. How about that? I have, I have the high-protein ones after I swim. Oh man, it's such good stuff. They have all different kinds of flavors. They are non—I uh, wouldn't say non-allergenic because that's that's like it's uh, not the right wording. Hypoallergenic. <laughs> there's no nuts. They use seeds instead for the protein. So if you have a nut allergy, there's no worries there. They are uh, vegan friendly and uh, no animal products used inside. Uh, Gluten-free, dairy-free, peanut-free, soy-free, long time, long, long time uh, sponsor of the show. Kai was in a soccer game today, drinking out of an Amrita water bottle. Speaking of the other stuff they make, they have all kinds of cool gear, and he scored two goals. Now, if you eat Amrita bars, will you score two goals in life? Probably. You never know. Got to find out, and you can find out by going to amritahealthfoods.com and using discount code ZEN2016. That's discount code ZEN2016. It's actually a really cool fuel for long rides because it's super easy to digest. And also, here's another thing. They don't freeze. A lot of bars, the competition, uses uh, stuff that will actually freeze when it gets cold. As we head into winter, Amrita bars stay soft. You can open one up and plow through it uh, nice and chewy and uh, they're date based it's really cool um the way i eat amrita bars when i'm biking along is i open one up and or i'll maybe pre-open one before i get going on the bike but anyway i take a bite out of it like maybe a quarter or a third of the bar in one bite and then i fold the end of the wrapper back over the rest of the bar and then i put it on uh on my quad i stuff it up the front of my bike shorts from the uh, knee side kind of push it up in there and it stays flat with my quad right here right there and then um 20 minutes later 30 minutes later i just grab it pull it back out push the bar forward in the wrapper boom another bite and it keeps your stomach feeling so good super smooth super nice there's cardamom in it which actually soothes the stomach so all right that's it for Amrita Bars. Thank you so much for being a sponsor. Show them some love. Again, uh, discount code 2016, Zen2016 at Foods.com. And also they have, like I said, a big store with all kinds of cool gear, shirts, jerseys, water bottles, fun stuff like that. Go check them out. All right, back to the episode. And then so another thing you did, I, I want to hear about uh, what this was you said that you figured out a big the biggest thing in ultraman is that is recovery it's a three-day race mm-hmm. and um you got you have two evenings after you know day one and day two where it makes a it makes all the impact in the world on how you're going to do the next day 
yeah. on what, how you eat and how much sleep you get, especially, I mean, well, both of them are just equally as important. And I mean, that is really the number one thing. And, um, and so you said that you managed, you figured out how to eat 1000 grams of carbs uh, during your recovery period. This is like in your training. You figure this out, which is for people, that's 4,000 calories of carbs um, after in the evening, like after a big day. And so did you, you figured this out at the, the Boulder, uh, the lab, uh, the endurance yeah. lab that they have there? Yeah I, think, I, yeah, I figured it out at the lab and I can, I can already see all you know, people who are listening to this and who are following like a, like a low carb, high fat approach. They like, yeah, they're having heart attacks right now. Hearing a yeah. thousand grams of carbs that that is really high. But <laughs> yeah, and and you know, as a as a day to day lifestyle, I do not recommend this. Right. But but during this event, you you've got to replenish your glycogen stores. Uh, so what I did is I I worked with the um, CU Sports Medicine. This is the uh, you know, University of Colorado uh-huh. uh, Sports Medicine. They got an awesome lab uh, here in Boulder, mm-hmm. and. Uh, what we did was we focused on measuring the uh, glycogen levels in my muscles, uh, specifically my my quads, uh, my hamstrings and calves, but mainly the quads. Mm-hmm. And what we were trying to do is simulate race day. So we did a baseline, check the glycogen levels, simulate a race day, check the glycogen levels, and then see what it took to get them back to pretty much full, to fill up the tank. By the time the race started the next day, right. So we we did all of this testing with the exact timelines uh, based on my project, projected race time. So I knew each day would take me, let's say, seven to eight hours. Right. I knew what I'd be u- feeling with during the race, so I could simulate that, have my glycogen tested, and then I would start a recovery protocol with your your fifty to hundred grams of carbohydrate per hour and basically see if I could get it back to full levels by the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it did, it did take quite a lot. So that what I ended up with, you know, the maximum I could actually do, and I, mainly because I couldn't eat more than this, was uh, 1,000 1, grams of carbohydrate in that you know, basically 15 to 18-hour window. And you know, my, my sort of comfortable level would be you know, 600 to 700. That's, you know, that's something that's a lot easier to accomplish um, so we tested with both scenarios, so eating 600 uh, versus eating 1,000 and just you know, seeing what the, what the implications of that were. Because even if you imagine feeling like that after day one, if you're slightly depleted, day two is a 170-mile bike ride. That's going to deplete you even further. So you, you want to be as, right. as fully stocked as you can be without overloading your GI system and creating GI distress. So it was, it was basically like a lot of plain food, white rice. Um, I, I basically made rice pudding out of white rice and condensed milk and some maple syrup and stuff like that. I'd have a lot of that and then a lot of liquid. So pomegranate juice, uh, tart cherry juice, uh, things like that are pretty high in uh, sugar but also aid in the recovery. So oh, I would yeah. a lot of it was liquid-based, which is a lot easier to get down, and then a lot of it was uh, food-based as well um, just to get that carbohydrate back. And uh, yeah, and I think it worked well. I, th- I think next time I'd probably aim for uh, you know, just focus a little more on the protein as well because I, I did have some protein, but I, I didn't think I, I – I, I think I could have had a little bit more just to 
prevent that, um, you know, just to aid in the muscle rebuilding and muscle recovery as well. And I was, I was kind of so obsessed about getting the carbohydrate back that the, the protein almost became an afterthought that, yeah, I think I could do better with that next time. Oh, there's a, uh, I just listened to a great podcast, the science of ultra and it's more about oh, yeah. ultra running, but it's PhDs that talk about, uh, this last episode about how much protein, um, ultra endurance athletes need to eat. And, uh, you know, like how many grams per meal and how many meals per day to, um, recover, um, for big, big training and big racing. You got to check that out. That's nice. pretty cool. Do you remember, do you remember what they said? Yeah. Like they said, um, more than 20 to 25 grams of protein per meal is not absorbed by your body. Yeah. So yeah. you hit about that, uh, and then four meals per day of that. Yeah. And it takes a while for it to absorb in your body. Anyway, you have a window that you need to get it in. And, um, and it made me think, oh, I should look to see. And I wasn't eating enough protein myself. And so I, I upped my protein to, to those numbers and immediately felt better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I do. I do a similar thing in training, which is, yeah, it's pretty much, it's a little bit less than that. So like 20 grams. And then I have that at, you know, four or five times uh, you know, throughout a day, not, you know, so like every hour or something like that. So, and I, I should have had about, I didn't have that much during the Ultraman, um, just cause I was so full from eating all this carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And, and even with that, it was, if you look at the total calorie deficit, I was probably still at a calorie deficit for the day. Right. Uh, and I think that's where you know later on in the day and the evening, it maybe pays to eat a bit more fat and, and protein as well, just right. to, just to get those calories in. So, uh, did, did you did you watch what happened to your blood sugar when you were eating that stuff or just didn't uh, even didn't yeah matter? funny enough you ask i did i actually had a blood glucose monitor with me and what happened um and it, it doesn't actually go that high so like a normal resting uh blood sugar for me is around you know 78 80 anywhere from 78 to 85 around about then right and you know after after I'd finished and, you know, bear in mind in the last hour before I was, uh, I'd finished the bike ride on day one, I was also basically taking in pure carbohydrate every, every 20 minutes or so. So it already should have been pretty highly elevated. Mm -hmm. Then I had my first of the many, uh, you know, high carbohydrate snacks and it was, it went up to about 108, which is, which is high, but it's not that high. I was expecting it to be like 130 or something like that. Right. Yeah. And it was it was pretty stable around those you know, around those sort of levels. So, wow, that's yeah, interesting. Okay, so on let's let's go over to uh, to race day. I know that's a big jump because there's all the travel you got to get there. You got to get a crew together, like all the stuff which you talk about. Yeah. Um, but on on race day itself, uh, the swim uh, you start you can wear a wetsuit during the yep. swim and i think pretty much everybody does and what was yep. the water temperature do you remember uh, uh it must have been i would guess it was high 70s so the yeah, the reason you're allowed to it wouldn't have been wetsuit legal in a normal uh, triathlon race but because of the marine life you could get stung by jellyfish so for safety you're allowed to wear a wetsuit right um it wasn't as warm as when, when i've swam in kona in october uh it feels a little warmer than it than it did then so it was maybe a few degrees colder than than that, but very, very mild still. So not, not cold at all, but it was, it was cool enough to not overheat with, uh, wearing a wetsuit, which was the main thing I was worried about. So I'd, right. yeah, I, I didn't go with a full sleeve suit. I went with a sleeveless, you know, a, cause I find it more comfortable and B cause I was, I had concerns about overheating. 
And um, you know, the guys at Roka were pretty cool. They actually, they, they, um, yeah, they, they current sleeveless suit is, you know, it's kind of like their mid range neoprene and they, they, they previously had their top of the range suit in a sleeveless, uh, which they no longer make. And they, they kind of dug the side of the warehouse and, and gave that to me. So that was, that was pretty awesome of those guys. Yeah. And, um, so I, I wore this sleeveless Roka, uh, Roka wetsuit and it was, it was amazing. It was, it was really good. And the sleeveless really helped me with avoiding any sort of fatigue in the, in the shoulders and upper body. So I, and, yeah, and I, and I also did get stung by some jellyfish. So it did, yeah. I got stung on my face. So the, the wetsuit did not help that, you know, that too much, but uh, the rest of my body was good. So how do you, um, how long did the jellyfish stings last? Uh, did you notice them for the rest of the race, the next few days, or was it kind of gone after day one? No, it's yeah. It, when it, when it happened, it's kind of this big shock because it, it stung me in the face. So I think I think getting stung in the face is a little worse than getting stung somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for me, it just gave me a shot of adrenaline and helped me swim a little faster. So yeah, I, the, yeah, there were other people who got stung and they kind of stopped. And all the you you have a, a swim escort, so you got a paddler next to you. And they all had the anti, you know, jellyfish lotion or whatever. So they they stopped and put the stuff on. But I was, you know, for me it it stung a little bit, but it's it's nothing worse than getting stung by a bee. Right. Um, yeah. it, you know, it kind of goes away after a few minutes. So it was a was a good was a good boost of energy. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of used it. I I used the pain to help me swim a little harder. Right. And uh, yeah, it kind of also forced me to to tuck my chin a little bit so that my the top of my head and my swim cap was going to be the first thing that that saw the oncoming water, and my my face was actually protected because it was underneath. So it probably got me in a little better of a of a body position as well because my I was basically looking straight down then. Yeah. So the uh, on, on the sleeveless wetsuit, I totally agree with you on that. Like I uh, I've gone from sleeved to sleeveless um, many times in races, and I just do so much better in a sleeveless because my my arms get actually tired and they. Um, in a sleeved wetsuit so yeah i don't know they say the sleeve the sleeved is faster yeah i guess because it floats your arms or something like that but not in my experience at all i've always done way better in a in a um, sleeve that's really cool for them to dig that one up for you yeah it was pretty yeah. awesome and then let's see uh oh you've got um uh the, the swim is in the same spot where uh iron man hawaii actually starts right? yes that's yes you start yeah, you start in exactly the same, exactly that same beach and exactly the same place you start. But then you got to swim 10K, 6.2 yeah. miles along the beach, yeah. and you come out in a totally different area, right? And yeah, you, yeah, you basically swim the first part of the, the Kona Run course. So the, oh, yeah. the, in the Kona Run, you start at, at the pier, mm-hmm. and you run down LE, you drive and turn around. You swim to pretty much just a little bit further than where the run turnaround is. Right. Did you see any uh, any cool wildlife or anything scary, like a tiger shark or anything like that? No, no. Luckily, I, I had heard uh, – actually, my paddler told me about this um, – a tiger shark he'd seen the week before. But, oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but, but luckily, we didn't see anything like that. And it's it was actually beautiful. So starting off the swim, yeah. you – you, uh, you know, it's not that deep, so you can see all the marine life. Just hundreds of you know, fish, schools of fish and mm-hmm. – uh, just really beautiful until you know, when you get close to the Ironman, where the, where the Ironman turnaround usually is, it gets a lot deeper. And then you go through this, this patch where it must be 
three or four k's of really deep water. So all you see is this deep blue abyss beneath you and nothing else. And that's yeah, that's where the jellyfish were. And that's all I saw was uh, was the jellyfish. And so yeah, it started off where I was really appreciating the marine life, and then halfway through, I wasn't appreciating it so much because they were stinging me. Right. And then as you draw close to the end it gets uh, pretty shallow and you're swimming over these beautiful coral reefs. So you kind of end with this beautiful underwater scenery, lots of, lots of reef fish, lots of coral, really beautiful. And it's, it's, it's a lot more unspoiled that part because there's not as many people there. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That makes the time go by faster. Although, I mean, like compared to everything else, the swim isn't anywhere near as, as long. Right. So, and you actually surprised yourself and you were in the front, you were uh, winning the swim. Yeah, which were, which was surprising because yeah. there were a lot of swimmers that I that I felt were better than me on paper at least, mm-hmm. and yeah, a few of them are yeah swim sort of low fifties. Kate Bevilacqua, who's one of the the pro women who was who was in the race, she regular regularly posts a you know, low fifty Ironman swim, and I was expecting to be you know, maybe even ten or fifteen minutes behind. Uh, coming out the water just based on the sure, yeah. the pedigree of swimmers that were there and i guess i guess what you know some athletes are you know they have a range of speeds and they maybe swim a lot faster for an ironman than they do for a 10k mm-hmm. whereas my pace is pretty much the same whether i'm swimming a half ironman or a 10k i don't i don't really slow down much uh so you could think of me as a, either a, a slow half ironman swimmer or a, or a fast 10k swimmer i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, and uh, so you came out uh, in first, and yep. then uh, you were already on getting on your bike when you saw the next uh, person come in, and um, so the it's a six point two mile uh, swim, and then a nine what is it about a ninety something mile bike ride? Yeah, it's ninety one ninety one mile bike ride. Yeah, yeah, and that was the day where that's the that was the really windy day, right? Oh yeah, it was crazy. It was like I don't know, fifty mile per hour winds. Yeah, there's a you posted a video of Bob Babbitt uh, <laughs> taught. Well, it, his mouth is moving, but you can't <laughs> hear him talking because the wind. And then there's a the, the camera pans across the uh, the open ocean at that point. And I guess you didn't you didn't have to swim through that kind of stuff, right? Or no, no, the, no. The swim was actually pretty calm, and it's it's amazing what I. What I noticed, my big takeaway from this race, you know, it circumnavigates the whole of the Big Island, and my experience of Kona has been so limited because I'm you know, when I go for the Ironman, it's just you kind of swim back and forth there, you ride up and down the Queen K, and you don't really see what the real island's about. So mm-hmm. the area where you swim is pretty protected, and I would say the conditions were were fantastic. Uh, you know, it was a pretty fast swim. I I would say the the currents were neutral, maybe even slightly favorable, at least for the first. Uh, seven or eight k's. We, we had a little bit of a head current at the end, but certainly no. Yeah, it wasn't very choppy. wasn't too rough. Uh, but you know, fifty miles into the bike ride, if you look at the ocean there, it's just crazy. It's just you know, right. white caps everywhere, and I don't even know if it'd be possible to swim in that. But it was like a totally different place. So that that bike ride um, eventually finishes at the near the top of a volcano, right? So it's pretty much all uphill. Or it's, or it's undulating and then uphill at the end, or yeah. So you you start so exiting the swim, you gotta uh, you gotta climb like a ten minute climb just to get out of that. So it's a pretty steep climb, 
uh, and then it's undulating, and then the, you end with uh, basically, I think it's about 30 miles of uh, uphill to the top of the volcano. So you go from sea level to over 4,000 feet um, uh, to finish the day one. Is that the same volcano in the news? There was snow in Hawaii. Um, yeah, I saw that. I, I'm not sure if it was that. I'm not sure if it was that that volcano or the other one, because there's one on the northern side of the island that uh, that is higher, and I I think that one's probably got snow. Oh, okay. What does? Which one is that? The one with the observatory? The one on the northern? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, and this one, uh, this one has got. Uh, it's very wet. A lot of. Uh, it's like a tropical rainforest, but it's pretty cold as well. When we you know when we started day two, it was. Uh, probably in the in the high forties and raining. Oh my gosh! Whereas at the at the coast it was not you know, eighty five degrees the day before. Holy cow! So uh, let's see. You do um, you do the that bike ride and let's, let me get back to my notes. I got I took so many notes, but I don't I don't want to take away from the blog either. I just have a few high points. Um, you oh no disc wheels, which is probably really smart. That's a rule. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then on the front, uh you did bring a zip eight oh eight. For people that don't know, that's a really deep dish front wheel, which is super fast, but I had one of those and I sold it because where I live it's pretty windy. And um the only place that's windier than where I live is Hawaii. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh I found it I could I could ride with it, but I was worried it was gonna send me out into oncoming traffic at some point by accident. Yeah. And uh, you switched down to not just a zip 404, but a zip 303, which is a really low profile wheel for racing, right? Yeah, it's a low profile wheel, and aerodynamically, it's it's almost as as fast as a 404. Mm-hmm. So over that first day, that 90 mile ride, it would be um, I think if you do the math, it was about yeah 30 seconds slower than a 404. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, but it's but it's lighter. So given that you end with thirty miles of uphill, mm-hmm. uh, plus there was a forecast of you know winds most of the time after mile fifty were you know thirty five forty miles an hour plus. Uh, you, I felt that I could make up a lot more than thirty seconds just with the extra confidence in descending, yeah. uh, as well as the the little bit of weight reduction on the hill, and it was absolutely the right choice. And you uh, had. Um, I was considering doing this big, like, multi-day race out in California uh, last fall or this fall. And the Uberman. The Uberman. I was considering yeah. it, um, but the whole thing with like, I knew for sure I was going to need to bring two bikes. Yeah. Uh, because one was definitely. I mean, at some point, you're definitely going to have some major problem, <laughs> especially if it's the bike you've been training on and all that. I mean, you're, you're going to break something, and you need to get something else under you right now. And, uh, so the best way is to have two bikes. So you had two bikes that were pretty much close to being identical to each other, yeah. uh, which is really smart. Cause if I, if I was doing that Uberman, my, my two bikes are different, you know? So if I, the, you have to kind of train to be on either, um, uh, bike position to, and make progress. So, um, so that was Diamond that was working with you, right? To have a yeah, well, a spare well, the, the yeah, the fortunate thing is that um, so Diamond, who is actively involved in my Ultraman Florida race, mm-hmm. uh, the you know, one of the uh, my crew there, Chris Blick, he rides exactly the same bike as as me, so same size, same aero bar setup, oh, uh, wow. pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, 
Um, Chris now works at uh, at Roker here in Boulder, but he still has the same bike. So he was on my crew still, and he just he actually raced. Actually, both my crew raced Ironman Arizona a week before Ultraman, and then he flew out straight from Arizona with his uh, yeah with with the spare bike. And fortunately, we didn't need it. But I had I had spare bike, which was which was Chris's bike. Uh, I had my bike, and then I had two sets of uh, spare wheels. So uh, Ian, my other crew, he had uh, he brought his other 808 out for me. So I had two 808s for the for the rear, and then an 808 and a 303 for the front. So if my and the idea is, if you get a flat tire, your crew should be there quick enough just to. Uh, be able to swap your wheel out quicker right. than it would take you to actually you know, swap a tube out or something. So yeah. that was the idea. If I, if one of my, my, my tires failed, I would have the crew swap out wheels for me straight away. Yeah. And so what people don't, uh, may not know is the, one of the coolest things about Ultraman looks like that it's old school style racing where you actually can have your crew, uh, with you, uh, throughout the race. And you just, you have to, they can't, you definitely can't draft behind, you can't, they can't be near you while you're biking, but you can give them hand signals as you go by and they can meet you at the next intersection and hand you stuff. So your aid station's really just the next intersection, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they, uh, you, ha- you have a crew, they're not allowed to ride alongside you, so they have to, they, they leapfrog you. So they, the idea is they should be behind you most of the time. And then when it's time to do a drink handoff, they should overtake you, pull over, get ready, do your drink handoff, and then continue. But absolutely, you've got you don't have any of the constraints of a of a regular race where you have to wait ten miles to um, you know to to get another drink. You can you can drink every five miles if you want or whatever. You just you just decide with your crew, and you can you can get your nutrition as often or as seldom as you like, which is which is huge. It's a, it's a really big advantage to have. Especially like that that final climb where you got thirty miles of climbing, you know, I strategically just had you know half bottles of uh, of liquid then, so that I wasn't carrying an extra extra pound of weight mm-hmm. by having two bottles or whatever I would have in a in a regular race. So yeah, just very small amounts, but taken regularly, and they would stop it. I I was drinking something every five minutes on that climb. Right, and I, I was just watching. There's a really good a lot of videos. I was watching a good one on Ram, the ride across America. And there was a British guy and his crew, and it, it, the part, the last part I watched is they're trying to climb um, Wolf Wolf Creek Pass, Wolf Creek, Pass, yeah, which is just brutal. <laughs> and they're in the van behind them, going, "All right, he's wobbling, he's wobbling," because <laughs> they're right. This guy, that that race is you know twenty four seven into the night. Yeah. And everything. that was really cool. So, and then Badwater does the same thing where you can uh, it's that super ultra marathon where people can. Um, you know, you're running through Death Valley and then and up the mountain, and you've got your crew with you all the time, which is really neat because then you've got a lot of emotional support there while you're doing that. Yes, but yeah, especially on the run, mm-hmm. it's just it's just such a critical thing. It's uh, it's really useful to have people close by and uh, not as you say, not only to give you your food and nutrition, but really just to uh, you know give you that give you that support and be there and keep you going. Really helps a lot. Yeah. So day one, you finish in the lead by I think you said something like ten minutes or so. Yeah, yeah, it was just was like nine minutes fifty eight seconds. It was just under ten minutes, and 
yeah, he, uh, Inyaki, who, who won eventually, he had he had got to within three minutes of me at the bottom of that hill. Oh yeah. And uh, I just I just rode hard up the hill and managed to open up another you know, an additional uh, seven minutes of him uh, on him by the end. So I got a question on the. Uh, you said that you were hoping to get you know certain wattages on these on certain portions of the ride you know, like 240 on this climb and whatever, and you weren't able to, is that um, just just fatigue from the rate you underestimated, like how tired you would be from fighting the wind the first day or, or? Um, it, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell because you know, this was on the first day where I would, you know, I would ex- usually when I go from altitude down to sea level, I get a bump of about, you know, 20 to 30 watts for the same perceived effort. Wow. And that you know, that whole ride felt to me it it felt the same as if I was riding at five thousand feet in Boulder. So it it wasn't what I expected, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad either. It wasn't like I was totally um you know, unable to hit my power numbers. It was just yeah. a little bit less than I than I thought I would hit. And yeah, you know, some of it may be to do with the the fact that as I as I exited the swim and got on my bike, I got these pretty severe cramps in my in my glutes so my both glutes just i wouldn't even call them cramps they just seized up so i couldn't right. i couldn't really pedal with i couldn't even get into error for about 20 minutes mm-hmm. just because it was too painful and yeah you know, that may be have that may have reduced my power output slightly but it was it was by no means anything bad I, I just didn't have the extra the extra 20 that i would normally expect yeah that one's puzzling i, I know you're in your blog you were trying to trying to sort that out like trying still trying to figure out like maybe arching your back to site while wearing a wetsuit in w- open water or something like that they contract on your glutes i guess or yeah you, well you, if, you don't you don't even sight that much because you got a paddler with you and all i do is look when i breathe i just see where the paddler is oh okay so i i didn't sight much uh but but i did have you know, what I would call good core engagement for, uh, for swimming. So I was really stretching out and, you know, my arms were really, you know, stretched out. So I had a good stretch going. And, you know, I think what, what most swim coaches would encourage is very good core engagement while you're swimming. And I think just the, the fact that I haven't, you know, that I haven't swum continuously without a wall for 10 Ks pretty much ever. I've done it a few times in my life. I think, you're just the the fact that in a pool you have a flip turn every um, every twenty seconds or so really helps. Just those, those sort of micro rests, even though it's a few seconds at a time, it stops that from happening. So oh. I think there would be you'd need to do some sort of you know core strength work that really fatigues those muscles uh, as you would on a ten k swim. I just thought of something else too. When when you do a, a turn, you bring your knees kind of not all the way up to your chest, but you, and that yeah. flexes your glutes out, you know, yeah. and it's uh, like the opposite of what you're doing when you're engaging them. Yeah. yeah. And maybe, yeah. Wow. That's cool too. That's interesting. I, I remember I did a 10 K swim and then got out and started riding my bike. And this something totally unexpected was reaching behind. I had my bottles, you know, behind my saddle <laughs> and my tricep like seized up, um, yeah, yeah. reaching behind my back. And I realized, it was going to be a whole lot harder to get those bottles out from behind because yeah. my arms were so tired and it was something I'd never yeah, planned I've had that for. One before. Yeah. That was so weird. Um, yeah. okay. So then let's see, that's uh day one bike and then, Oh, well day one swimming bike. And, uh, do you hang around to watch some, uh, everybody 
finish or just the, your, the people that you think are be competing against the next day's finish to kind of see how they look? And then that, how fast do you get out of there to go to your, uh, I guess, a hotel room? to, to And where is that uh, to start recovering? Yeah, so my, so I don't, you know, there's, I did hang around, um, but not, not on purpose to see how the other guys looked. I was just, you know, I crossed the finish line. I got some food down, uh, did an interview with Bob Babbitt. I had, you know, then I had, uh, I had to do a call with slow twitch. Mm-hmm. And so there was like two interviews straight away while I was trying to eat. So that was, that was 10 or 15 minutes. And then, uh, you finish in this military base. So there's, there's a, there's a barracks there and there's showers and stuff. So I had a quick shower and then it was really just, you know, get, uh, get in the car. I, I actually put my Normatec compression boots on, lay in the, lay in the car all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, there, there wasn't enough uh, space when I booked to book a place in, in Volcano where we ended for me and the entire crew. So I actually had a house down at the coast in Hilo, which turned out to be really good because it's much warmer down there. It's not, you know, it's not raining and cold. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had this, we had this beautiful place. that had a hot tub and a and a swimming pool and stuff. So it was actually really good for the recovery. And right. I could do some some light swimming, sit in the hot tub, refuel, and I pretty much get started with that right away. Uh, but I did. I, I was there long enough to see the yeah you know, the the first few people come across and. Um, yeah, and you kind of want to hang around a little bit and see how those guys are doing because you end up being good friends with some of these guys. So it was, yeah. uh, you, you do a little bit of that and just you know, say hi to them. And then the, you know, my focus is really just getting out of there and trying to get uh, trying to get an early evening and rest up for the next day. Did Did you use that house for both nights? To uh, no, no. So we, uh, I stayed in downtown Kona for the before the race and mm-hmm. before night one. And then you, then we're in Hilo for the end of day one, mm-hmm. but then you ride all the way to the top of the, the north side of the island, Harvey, which is the, the bike turnaround of the Ironman course. Right. So on, on day two, you want to sleep somewhere near there because otherwise it'd be a, a long three, way. Yeah. three or four hour drive because on day three, you start at 6am. So you want to be in the vicinity of Harvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we stayed at, um, at a hotel in the Manolani hotel, which is down near Waikoloa, which is about a, a 30 minute drive, uh, the next morning to get the, to get okay. back to the run start, which is, which is fine. Cause you, you eat something, the, the crew drives and I just relax in the car while we drive up. Right. So day two, this was surprising to me. I mean, I followed Rich Roll when he did his races there. So I, I remember seeing pictures of him, you know, kind of bundled up a little bit and ready to go. But I didn't know the temperatures. You're saying it was something like 40s something and raining? Yeah, it was either high uh, high 40s, low 50s and raining. Mm-hmm. And, and downhill. <laughs> and downhill. And apparently that's pretty typical. So you, you start the day in the order you finish. So the good thing was I started in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was wet and rainy and it's, it's – you riding downhill fast for about 45 minutes. Yeah. So you're going, you're going over 40 miles an hour for, for a long time. And it's dark as well, by the way. So you, you, this, the sun, it's kind of dawn, so you can kind of see where you're going, but not really. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, I'd heard these stories of uh, some of these crazy European guys who just make, you know, make a break for it off the front on that day too, and and you know, ride like madmen down this hill. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wanted to stop that from happening. So when 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 the the start when we started, I just I rode pretty hard for the first three minutes just to prevent someone from you know trying to do any sort of crazy move 
and that worked because we were we were off the front. There were basically three of us, and there's a, a Tony O'Keefe who's a veteran of the race. He's a really good biker, mm-hmm. and he he overtook me in the first few minutes, and then. I'd never ridden any of these roads before. It was the first time I had ever ridden them. So it was really good just to be able to sit uh, behind Tony and follow his line uh, right. all the way down. So I didn't have to really think about anything. I knew he knew the right. the mountain pretty well. I think it's his eighth or ninth time doing this race. Wow. Uh, so I could just sit, I could just sit behind him and um, and and follow his line. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I've I've done some mountain riding and yeah, having one person or two in front of you, so you can see how much they have to lean and where they break. Yeah. Uh, so you can do the same is, yeah, it's way better. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and yeah. I almost took the 808 on this day cause it was pretty calm when we were driving up. Uh-huh. It was, it was raining, but there wasn't much wind. Mm-hmm. And then I just went with the 303 just it was, was the, the conservative choice. And I'm pretty glad I did cause it, about 10 minutes into the ride, the wind really picked up and was kind of shunting me all over the place. And when I, I was going, I was doing about 50 miles an hour down that hill mm-hmm. And yeah. when it's raining and it, the road surface isn't great, there's these, there's like little potholes everywhere and you got to really have your wits about you. Mm-hmm. And then the wind picks up as well. The last thing you want to do is be unstable at, at 50 miles an hour with wind uh, gusting everywhere. So wow. it turned out to be a good choice for day two as well. Yeah. And so you get to the bottom of the hill and you start trying to change out of your uh, cold weather stuff because now it's going to be warm. Yeah. And uh, this is where the strategies begin with um, timing stoplights because the rules of the race are you've got to obey the local, you got to obey traffic uh, yeah. lights and stop signs, right? Even a stop sign, you got to stop at a stop sign, right? Yeah, you got to stop at a stop sign. You got to stop at the red lights. Uh, in fact, someone when I did the Florida Florida race, someone was disqualified overall for the race just for rolling a stop sign. So yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to take any chances and uh, do anything like that. There, there aren't many stop signs, but there, there are a few red lights there. Yeah. It's such a big, long race. Um, yeah. You, you know, you don't want to stop, but also sometimes stopping can, uh, for something very short can actually kind of refresh you. Yeah. You know? So it's not that big of a deal. And yeah, you, you learn to deal with it. Yeah. You know, the first time you do an Ultraman and you know, that you, you get stuck at red lights, it's pretty frustrating, but mm-hmm. You realize after you know, after a while, it's just it's just part of the race, and you you just learn to accept it and deal with it. Yeah. And let's see, uh, you almost uh, who was it that almost got hit by a car? <laughs> oh, so Inyaki was. Inyaki. So there were three of us together, and yeah. he came around the corner. You basically go down this massive hill for forty five minutes, and you take a right turn. And as you take the right turn, yeah. there's like a shopping center there, and and there's a, there's a, a light right away. Um. As it was raining, I, I don't think he saw it because he, we, we were Tony and I both stopped, and he, uh, he just didn't see, and he went through the red light by mistake. Mm-hmm. And there was a pickup truck coming through. It was green for for the pickup truck, and luckily the truck saw him at the last minute and just and kind of slammed on brakes, yeah. and uh, and didn't hit him. But I was like, I was trying to take my wet gear off, and I was, I was like so shocked. I thought I thought this guy was about to be taken out by by yeah. a truck that I just. Uh, I forgot to take my stuff off. So, yeah, this almost ended into a, yeah. a tragedy. But like, luckily, he was okay. He kind of swerved out the way, you know, mm. did a loop back, and then and then he stops at the light. So, oh, uh, <laughs> that's cool. Pretty, he came back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't. He didn't go through. He yeah. he turned around when he had realized, and he came and stopped at the light. So, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So then, uh, let's see. He's um, or y'all are going along, and uh, yeah, a lot of the strategies, like trying to keep up with people, and you said you're noticing like where people's um, crew cars are, 
and how the day's panning out. And yeah, you come around the east and north side of the island, right? Yeah. And yeah, right. Yeah. Then you, um, for, yeah, so people want to look on a map, you just go to Google Maps and go to the big island uh, of Hawaii and see. It starts kind of on the southwest west side of the island where the swim is and then kind of goes uh, counterclockwise. Yeah. yeah. Counterclockwise. That's what we've been talking about. And so day two bike ride is 170 something miles. Uh, they, I mean, the official documentation says 171, but it's actually the one in Hawaii is about 164. Okay. And that was because of like some construction with like a road change or something like that, right? I, I don't know. It could, it could be, yeah. um, I don't, I don't know if it's always been like that, but definitely the last few years it's, uh, that that's what it's been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they, they are constrained by that going through Hilo, which is a pretty big town, um, yeah, if there is construction or anything, they they have to change the route there. So, but pr- yeah. yeah, pretty much it's the same except for that section, which I think could change. Oh, and you've got some pictures of that that road called Red Road, which just oh, yeah. looked amazing. So oh, it's nice, beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's, it's basically like this, like it's this road. It's it's kind of like a roller coaster road. So very mm-hmm. you know, these these sort of bumps, but it's um, you, know, you, you it's just like very very short rollers under a canopy of of rainforest basically right next to the ocean mm. with virtually no traffic so it's just this beautiful beautiful road and it's a no feed zone so there's no cruise or anything so you're on your own for that period of time oh. um and there is a there's a guy on a motorcycle that goes up and down if you do have a like a mechanical or something he can help out but your crews are not allowed on that section yeah. so it's very it's just beautiful it's very peaceful and and extremely scenic and you know just that that road itself is just a great experience to have been able to ride on that. So during the dur- during like the entirety of the race of, of the bike ride and the run, you can can you see the ocean pretty much the entire time, like ninety percent. Uh, no. So on on day one, yeah, you you start at the ocean and then you 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 ride inland a little bit, and then probably the first forty miles of that, you don't really see the ocean that much. Right. Then you see it for about five miles. You're right next to the ocean. That was where you saw the video of the the crazy wind and the the other okay. the ocean with white caps. And then you you turn inland and climb up to volcano. You don't see the ocean at all. Well, I guess on and day then, one you've seen plenty of the ocean already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then day two, you you once you yeah. through Hilo, you you ride next to the ocean for quite a while. It's just spectacular. They got these. Uh, these gulches, which is basically like a waterfall that falls into the ocean and the road kind of winds around past the, the waterfall and you've got these cliffs with this beautiful ocean. Oh, and wow. a, big, a big part, at least of the first half of the ride, is is like that, just beautiful scenery, beautiful ocean. Um, and then you, you start this long climb inland on this, you know, it's kind of a, a brutal and you know, boring long climb into um, there's a little town called Waimea. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's probably one of the the toughest parts of the course, uh, just because it's it's not that scenic and there's a lot of traffic and um, and you're climbing uphill with with which what seems like forever. Right. And so you finished day two. Yeah. Uh, and what position are you in then? Do you remember? Uh, so I was in second then. So basically at that that long that long hill that I talked about. So Nyaki caught up to me. I I, I managed to create a gap on these guys. Um, almost by mistake, uh, just before the red road. So the red road is before you get to Hilo. You do the long descent, you go out and you go on this red road. And I turned around and they were both gone. And my my plan had been to stick with whoever was in front 
um, until Hilo because you go through a series of six traffic lights. And all I wanted to avoid was someone else getting through a light and me getting stuck. So I wanted to be with whoever was in front. That was my only goal, getting into Hilo. And and I somehow managed to drop these guys by accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was on my own going through Hilo. And then I got stuck at a red light. There was a road construction with one-way traffic. And this light lasts about four minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was two minutes ahead of Inyaki at that stage. And then he caught me when I was at this red light. Okay. So we, we rode a little bit together and then he you know, he just put in the surge that I, I couldn't stick with. So I was already you – know, I was sticking with him pretty comfortably. I was doing about um, you know, 270 watts, which is about what I do in a half Ironman. So mm-hmm. pretty, you know, pretty hard effort, what I'd normally do on a, on a 56-mile uh, ride in a, tri- in a triathlon. Right. Um, and then he started riding even harder than that. So when I was doing <laughs> – 350 watts to try keep with him mm-hmm. uh i just i just eventually let him go because i felt that would probably impact my race negatively oh yeah and then he continued riding like that so he put between that time and the time he finished he put uh 15 minutes into me so he finished uh 15 minutes ahead that day and he had been 10 minutes behind the day before so his so i started day three with a five minute uh, deficits. I was in second place by five minutes. Okay. And I had, I had about 40 minutes on third place. So I didn't know about, I've never really heard about Inaki before this race. Where, where is he from? Uh, he's from Mexico. So he's a, he's an athlete from, I think he lives in Mexico city. Uh He's done, he's done a bunch of Ultraman races before. Mm -hmm. Um, but last year he had a, he had a bad race. Yeah. I think he came 13th. Right. Um, and he, you know, in, in the lead up to the race, I saw that he was, you know, he was actually doing some really good training. He had been out in Kona for, I think, three weeks before the race. Um, and he had been putting in some really solid preparation. So I knew, I knew before the race that he would be a contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never raced him before, so I didn't, I didn't really know much about him. Right. Uh, but on day one, I, I kind of felt like I could, you know, by, I, I felt like I tested him a little bit on that final climb. And I, could, I, I thought I knew where his limits were. Uh, but I was clearly wrong about that because on on day two he yeah. he put a lot of time into me and it's not like I faded I didn't yeah I was riding I, I mm-hmm. still felt like I was riding pretty strong yeah and he put in a good chunk of time on me wow so you finish uh, day two and yeah. um, after a little while you hang you uh, head over to um, your hotel to recover and uh, a lot of us were following you on s- slow twitch and that was really cool of you to get on there. And that was so, I was actually really surprised because we were talking about you. We're like, I said, oh, he's going to do awesome, you know, and, and, uh, he, he's going to do really well unless he wrecks or something like that. And because yeah. you know what you're doing. And then next thing I see is <laughs> you're in there. <laughs> hey everybody, how's it going? And I was like, holy <laughs> crap, man, he's got some energy. And, uh, so that was really cool of you to jump in and say, Hey, and how you were feeling and stuff. And then, well, you know what, I, I've been on the other side, uh, when I'm trying to figure out what's going on in this race and I'm sitting in, I'm sitting back in the, on the mainland behind my mm-hmm. computer screen and no one, there's no, no one says what's going on. Yeah. So I, I kind of knew that it would be at least useful to people to hear something. And I, all I was doing was I was chilling out in a hot tub, uh, relaxing. So I think <laughs> why not go into slow twitch and you know, participate a little bit and let those yeah. guys know how it's going. Yeah, that was super cool. And okay, so you said you got to get up at 6 a.m. or you got to start running at 6 a.m. Yeah. for this thing. So yeah, early start. And then what a lot of people don't know is that uh, like the Boston Marathon, a lot, well, the first 
how many miles of the run is downhill? And people go, oh, well, that'll be easy. And no, it's not. Like downhill yeah. running, I've done a bunch of um, trail runs that are like 50 to 100. I've only done like one and a half because I had to drop out of a 100 miler. But like you start doing downhill running over a long period of time and it hurts. Actually running uphill feels better than running downhill. Yeah. You're, yeah. You can't take another step downhill because of the pain. So, um, how many miles of, of the first part of this race is downhill? Is it like 10 miles or 20? Uh, or? So I think it's 18, 18 miles oh downhill. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> On pavement. So On pavement. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not super steep, but it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's steep enough. Yeah. So it's just like old jackhammer is going to bang, bang, yeah. bang, bang. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was shocked at the numbers. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't be shocked, but you said, um, Y'all were trying to, um, you know, do like seven minute miles. Like, I guess, is that the competitive uh, run speed for, uh, for, uh, the, the championships? Um, so, I mean, basically I had, so I, I mean, the, the, what you want to do is run to, to the level that you've trained to, to run at. Mm -hmm. So I basically had a conservative option, which was, Hey, I'm just going to, I'm just going to run and I'll probably, you know, I'll run in order to, to podium. And it's kind of like a safe run that, that I know I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely be able to do. So that for me, that would be just run the whole thing around eight minute miles. Okay. Eight minutes. Um, yeah. but I knew that the, you know, my more aggressive approach and what I trained to do was run the first bit a little faster than that. So do like seven fifteen per mile, mm. uh, for the whole downhill um, yeah, because for a number of reasons, one, it's cool. So you want to, you know, putting that in that higher effort when it's colder right. means you're not, you're not, ex you're not overheating yourself. Like, you know, you're going to be doing later on. Right. Um, so you could either, you could either plan to run the whole thing evenly, uh, or you could run the first bit much more aggressively and then account for the fact that you are going to slow down once you, once you hit the rollers on the queen K highway. And that, you know, that's what I went with. Um, and that, yeah, that's, that's the common strategy from the guys who have, who have run really well there before. Okay. Um, so that, yeah, yeah, I, I could have gone more conservatively sure, but I, I went with what I trained to do, which was that. So you're seven fifteen, and, uh, I was very lucky that there were, you know, one of the other athletes, um, uh, Jochen Dembeck was running exactly the same pace as me. So I had, I had like a pacer for the first, uh, I think we were together for about 30 miles. Wow. Uh, running exactly the same pace so that you know and that really helps having someone running with you at exactly the same pace because it just keeps you going all right we need to mention you can you can is a super starch this is really cool stuff it's a super slow acting carbohydrate almost to the point of your body doesn't know what it's doing it's like we're getting energy from somewhere else is happening and it's really great for swimming. You want to go swim for an hour and not be needing to, uh, you know, take sips from a bottle on the side. You know, coach hits you over the head with a kickboard like my coach used to do. Quit jacking around. Get back in the water. Quit being lazy at the wall. Keep on swimming. And you can do this, especially in races, right? You're going to do an Ironman. You're going to be in the water for an hour. You're doing a half Ironman. You're going to be in the water for half an hour plus. You're, uh, you're going to be going and going and going. You don't have a chance to, to drink or, or uh, refuel out there. You can't drink out of a bottle while you're swimming. Well, you kind of can with UCAN because UCAN is a very, very slow drip carbohydrate. 
and so it slowly releases into your system so you can kind of preload with this stuff before you're going to do something long. It also kind of saves uh, your teeth from all that sugar, right? Because you can power this stuff down. It's actually pretty easy to drink. And then you have energy for like an hour, hour and a half from this stuff. This is really cool. So it comes in different flavors. You have chocolate. Um, you have some stuff with some protein added in if you want that and, uh, some electrolytes added in if you want that. And they also have, uh, orange, tropical punch and all this different stuff, all this different stuff. And so what I do is I get up in the morning, I drink, uh, I have a little bit, a little bit of breakfast, a little tiny little bit of breakfast, some coffee. And then, uh, right before I leave to go to the pool, I drink a bottle of Ucan, uh, pretty quickly. And then, uh, by the time I get to the pool, you Got your energy, you feel nice and good, that slow release, and it just works, man. It's really amazing, and it's actually helped me break the habit of needing uh, sugar by the side of the pool. I think I've pretty much turned around, pretty positive, I've turned around my uh, needs for uh, sugar by using Ucan. I've become much less sugar-dependent and way more... Uh, fat enhanced metabolism going on and I did it through using UCAN. Uh, the latest thing that I've done with it is um, two, well, one time I did it uh, half the swim, but my latest was I did a full swim nonstop butterfly for one hour after drinking UCAN. 3,150 yards, nonstop, all butterfly, drinking UCAN. The, uh, before I got to the pool, chocolate fl flavored was what I did. And I just swam uh, easy, smooth, and did the whole thing. It's all, I posted the workout. You can go check it out. <laughs> it was crazy. And I plan on doing it more because it was actually fun. It actually wasn't even all that hard. I just kept it easy. And you can do the same kind of stuff, a long, continuous workout, hour, hour and a half, without needing the fuel by pre-fueling with UCAN. Check it out. You go to... You can uh, web you can's website and they have uh, the opportunity for you to put in a discount code. If you use discount code Zentri Z E N T R I all caps, you can get it fifteen percent off. How about that? That's pretty cool. And then they turn around and send a little bit this way to Zentri itself. And man, if that's not a good advertisement for these guys, this stuff works. It's awesome. I love it. You can get a discount. You can support Zentri. Get on it. Get on it. Break all that sugar. Break that habit, man. Get on something that's a little bit better for you with some you can. All right, let's get back to the episode. Here we go. You you mentioned uh, something that I'm a big fan of is Under Armour heat gear. Yeah. Compression heat gear. So it's the really thin uh, you know, body fitting, kind of like one size too small kind of compression tops uh, for ultra running. They are incredible. They they are by far like the best thing. I've been using those forever. Short sleeve, long sleeve. This long sleeve's great for being out in the sun. Um, and you had a white one, so you got good sun coverage. And, yeah. and um, I, I remember emailing them when they first came out with those years and years and years ago saying, can you please put pockets on the back of these things? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a cycling like a cycling jersey because I was wearing it for long bike rides. Um and, and it's funny because Mako was sponsored by them. And he, so he had an Under Armour cycling kit for years. Yeah. And, you know, it's got po pockets on the back of that, but we could not get Under Armour to make pockets on the back of their of this heat gear top. But anyway, um, then you had uh, three pairs of running shoes to go through. 
Yeah. Um, hokas, right? All hokas. Yeah. And yeah. Um, did you wear all three of them? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. So I started with the uh, with some with a lot of extra cushioning just for the downhill running. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so the idea was to to help limit the impact on my legs. And then uh, the other two, I had a pair of Clifton's and a pair of Clayton's. Um, yeah, I, I like both of those. And the only reason to have three was, you know, as you um, as you get as it as the day warms up and you you kind of pouring water over yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As soon as those the shoes get uh, any bit of moisture in them, they start getting a bit waterlogged. So the idea was to switch out mainly to you know to a, a pair of dry shoes whenever I needed to. Uh, yeah, so that's what I did. So I went through all three pairs of those. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the big ultra run I do does loops of 20 something miles. And I, yeah, I would cycle every once in a while, one of those loops through, um, yeah. with a different pair of shoes. And sometimes it's nice just to put on something different even. Feels it is. Good. Yeah. Change Feels out your good and it's a little bit of a different, uh, yeah, muscle, muscle, yes, the micro muscle groups that you use slightly different. Uh, so I found it, I find it very useful just to change up a little bit. So you, you mentioned that you were going through about 300 calories per hour and are you using your own homebrew fuel that you mentioned one time that you make yourself or were you using something, uh, uh no. So on, on the run, I use, um, a product called glucose. So that's G L U K O S mm-hmm. and it is, it is pure glucose. So they have, they have a number of things that I use. One is the, uh, their gel, which is, it's very, it's kind of very watery. So it's a very liquid gel. You can, you can just drink it without having to wash it down with any water. Nice. Uh, and it's not, it's not a huge amount of calories, it's like 80 calories per, per sachet. And, uh, so I would, because I got a crew that they would just give this to me every, you know, every 10 minutes I would have one of those, yeah. uh, until I got sick of it. And then I would, I would switch out to something else. Um, but the other, the other glucose product I use is the, they called energy tablets. So it's like a, it's like a you know a, a round disc, mm-hmm. and you just kind of put it in, put it under your tongue, chew it a little bit, and it actually and it's pure glucose powder in a tablet form. And these things are awesome because you actually absorb some of that underneath your tongue, so you can you can effectively bypass your digestive tract with some of those calories. Oh, cool! So I find on the run that's especially useful because the reason I couldn't go more than three hundred is because if I go more than that, it's kind of yeah, I start to get uh, a little bit weighed down by the food, and it just feels like it's not processing at all, which is very different on the bike. But on on the run, I, I kind of have that limit just because of the you know the movement of running. So I have those tablets, I have those sachets, and then I have uh, these power bar uh, cola shots. It's like little little cola chews, and, and those are those things are great. A little bit of caffeine. Um, I think they're called power bar cola shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are just awesome. And then I have uh, had I switched to uh, Mountain Dew, so I have yeah. a bike bottle. My crew puts a bit of ice in, fills about half a bike bottle with Mountain Dew, and then I had that for many, yeah, probably about you know twenty of the of the fifty two miles. I had that, yeah. and then uh, when I got sick of that, I actually switched to um, Starbucks. So I have I had these uh, you know Starbucks. You get these pre-bottled frappuccinos, oh, which yeah. is, yeah, I mean, they're awesome. But I, I would never drink this on a day-to-day basis. It's like, you know, each bottle is like 250 calories or something and 30 grams of sugar. Right. But they taste amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah especially when you're running, it, that was just awesome. I, I think I went through about six of those things. Yeah. Um, and that was my nutrition. So, you know, glucose, glucose gels, glucose tablets, Mountain Dew, and Starbucks. Wow. What else do you need? I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so on uh, you said about mile thirty eight. Your was yeah. it just a sudden like your legs go just suddenly just go or your quads go I'm done and then yeah. or was it like a gradual you know over a period of like well, five miles. Well, when I when I woke up at four in the morning, mm-hmm. my quads were already sore then, which I guess is not a good sign. Um, and that, so they were sore. They, they were <laughs> but sore I don't see how they head. couldn't be sore after what you've yeah. been doing. So yeah, that's true. But yeah. yeah, so the so the first few miles, I, I mean, I thought I was going to just feel terrible the whole day, and mm-hmm. the first mile felt pretty rough, and then I felt good after that. So I, I, my right. quads were still sore, but I felt good, mm-hmm. and they were they were sore but manageable right up till mile thirty eight. Uh-huh. Uh, so I you know, went through the half marathon in about 1:40, and I'd by then I, I was actually um, you know Nyaki was seven minutes behind me. He went through the half marathon seven minutes slower than I did. Wow. Uh, so I thought he was done. I thought that huge effort he put in the previous day. I thought that's just that's just wasted him, and uh, you know, he's you know, he's not going to make up the time. Yeah. Uh, went through the marathon mark in 3:29, and then that, yeah, then it was just about settling in. So between mile 26 and and 40, I just try and keep a constant pace, not do anything crazy. And I was running well. I was feeling good. Yeah, I, was, I felt my nutrition was really working well. Mm-hmm. So aerobically, I felt great. Nutritionally, I felt great. And then just suddenly, at mile 38, it was like someone hit me in the quads with a baseball bat. And that pain that was manageable at all just became unmanageable. So every single step was – I mean, it was, it was so painful. It was very difficult to actually – uh, continue. So I, I, first of all, I just slowed down. So I, I slowed from about a 7:45 uh, per mile pace mm-hmm. uh, to about nine minutes a mile. Um, and then I think Inyaki passed me. So he, my my crew came to me and said Inyaki's here. I said, What do you mean he's here? You like last time we spoke, he was like seven minutes behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had actually executed an, uh, an amazingly good race. So he had actually started speeding up. He ended up negative splitting the marathon. Wow. Um, so he was running faster. I was running slower. Hmm. Uh, he overtook me, and about a mile later, I just you know, the um, you know, I just I couldn't help, but I just had to walk. So I, I, the, the final twelve miles, I was just walking with a bit of running thrown in. Yeah. Uh, but it was a very different experience to what I've ever had before because it wasn't because I was tired or because i was you know lazy or because i just didn't feel like running it was just it was literally too painful to to run and put that put that load on the legs so i could i could run a bit uphill but any sort of downhill like i was you know oh, yeah. kind of weird. i had to walk the downhills and run the uphills pretty much yeah yeah <laughs> uh, that that looping course that i've done where you start getting into mile 60 and 70 and stuff uh you know and that's just one day you haven't done anything the day before that like the there's like a curb. <laughs> you're yeah. Like, yeah. You're like you notice that you can't get up the curb yeah. without turning sideways and like swinging <laughs> a leg up over it and it's only like 6 inches tall and you're like the last time I was here just like a few hours ago this was not a problem. But yeah, your legs yeah. just like give out. And yeah. you've got energy, you know, you're you're doing all right. Um but you also said it was uh, like 85 degrees or something. That's pretty warm for what you're doing that day. Yeah. You know, that that's what they said. They said it was hot. I didn't, I didn't feel hot at all. Hmm. Um, you know, and, yeah, I did, I did my heat prep. So I think my heat prep worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe it was the, I think that under armor top, uh, helped a lot as well. Oh yeah. yeah you and I seem big fans of that thing. I think they need to sponsor us. Yeah. Well, you could just pour we'll water over it too. You know, it just yeah. like instantly cools you. 
and you can shove sponges under it, you know. Uh, exactly. They uh, should forget, forget Maka, forget Phelps. They should, <laughs> they should sponsor us. These races with do. 30 people in them. Exactly. <laughs> uh, where the racers have to call in and do their own press call. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, oh, I wish, man. Under it, yeah, that's such good equipment. The um, I have a question going back to the swim. Yeah. Uh, last time you and I talked, uh, we talked a lot about UCAN. And yes. did you use that in training and on race day? Because the thing you talked about before was that, that I picked up on and I've been doing is with UCAN, because it's such a slow drip carb, you can actually cut down on the number of feedings. Which yeah. swimming is a big problem, right? Because to, to feed while swimming, you got to come to a complete stop, unlike yeah. biking and running. And so if you load up on your carbs before you get – you can go and, and not need to stop. Uh, oh, you said that uh, in your write-up, you didn't stop for anything until like an hour in, right, on the swim? Yeah, I, did, I just stopped twice. I had, I had very few calories on the swim. I had um, – Two two bike bottles with uh, yeah that the same glucose mix uh, they've got a they've got a premix powder so only about probably about 180 calories per bottle so I got through the swim on about 360 calories mm-hmm. um, but I did you know, it was more you know not even that I needed the calories that much during the swim but it's just to prepare for after and and really I just wanted something when, when the the water in cone is very salty so I just wanted something uh, a little bit sweet to uh, to drink. Right. Uh, and I had, I did have a, a third bottle which got knocked off during the. It got a bit rough out there after uh, four or five k. So we lost one of the bottles, but I had two. Uh-huh. Uh, but I didn't actually end up needing more than two. Um, but you, to to answer your question about UCAN, I actually did use it on the run. Oh, okay. uh, I had a whole uh, packet of UCAN in a in a bike bottle just before the start of the run. Okay. And. Yeah, you know, usually I would like in an Ironman I wouldn't really have UCAN on the run because it's you know, it's so slow acting that by the time you actually uh, you know, the energy gets processed you you're probably almost going to be done with the run. But I think something like an like an ultra uh, in this case 52 miles I think is very useful to have something like UCAN uh, as part of your your breakfast or just before you start running on on a day like that. That's what I've noticed too. Is I uh, I use it I talk about it on the show every once in a while before I go for my swim workouts in the morning. Yeah, uh, I have it before I leave the house to go, and then I don't need I don't need any fuel. You know, the entire swim, I'm not hungry or anything like that. And then that kind of broke me from needing so much fuel all the time anyway. Yeah. of the yeah. simple sugars through a lot of my work. Okay, so anyway, um, let's see. So you're getting towards the finish, and uh, uh, how do you pronounce his last name again? Anaki. He passed yeah, you. It- um, uh, he he passed me at mile, around mile thirty eight, I think thirty eight, thirty nine, yeah. somewhere around that. And that was the only person that passed you, or other people passed you, but it didn't matter because you had gained so much time on them uh, on the other day. Uh, you know, I think yeah, or there might it, have been. Were you just looking into the following into the light? <laughs> yeah, like you know, honestly, the only the only people I were I was more worried about Tony O'Keefe, who was who started the day uh, thirty five or forty minutes behind me. Uh huh. Uh, in the in the general classification, because he's a he's a great runner. He's you know, he's run I don't know, maybe six and a half hours there before for the double marathon. So I wow. I felt like he was very capable of putting that time into me. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I know that Inyaki is you know, he's about you know, he runs about the same pace that I do. So I, I felt with, between me and Inyaki would be you'd be a wash and whoever executed well on the day. 
but I felt that Tony could easily put that time into me. So the whole day I was kind of focused on Tony and I was keeping him less, you know, five to six minutes ahead of me and, and trying to not let that gap increase too much. Mm. Um, but what, by the time my quads packed up, I didn't, I honestly didn't care anymore. I was just, all I wanted to do was get to the finish. Yeah, and I, there was literally nothing I could do to go any faster. So it was not like it it mattered to me um, what Tony was doing. Mm. But Inyaki passed me, and I think I think there were two other guys running pretty close behind him that I think they may have passed me too. But then I didn't see anyone else, and I I was really surprised because mm. I was walking I was walking a lot of that final half marathon. Uh, and I was just like, where are these people? Like, where's everyone else? What, there's another- <laughs> They're probably walking too. <laughs> yeah. He's like, where, where are these people? And yeah. there was one guy who finished uh, probably, I think he finished eight seconds behind me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't see him till the finish. So I didn't see anyone. And then I crossed the line. I turned around. This guy, this other guy was there. So oh, wow. uh, that's it. I didn't, I didn't see anyone else really after, after Inyaki passed me. So did you ever uh, get sick to your stomach or anything and throw up or no like no. no no nothing yeah. my stomach was super solid nutrition worked well once i started walking i, I didn't really take in any more calories because i yeah i didn't really need them right uh so i i, I just sip on the occasional uh starbucks just because it tasted good but yeah that yeah i probably had less than 100 calories per hour for the rest of the race uh, right. but i was mainly walking so i didn't really need anything yeah and uh, we should mention you do coaching right and nutrition yeah and nutrition coaching this is this if somebody (laughs) this is the best advertisement for somebody that you possibly get you can do an entire ultraman a three-day race and feel great like fuel wise so that you can have your best race yeah regardless of the speed so you can actually enjoy the day and stuff like that you know yeah yeah yeah, that's That's, uh this because these things are like an experience you know you it is um I, i found that through doing really long stuff that you you're a different person at the end of it and you don't know what that person's going to be. So it's fun to just do it at the best pace you can. And then you, um, you just kind of watch the day as it goes by and yeah, nutrition just makes it so much better. Uh, a good nutrition that works for you. Yeah. And, Especially if you're drinking Starbucks, that's, yeah. that makes it even better. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, People make themselves miserable with um, puking and all kinds of stuff like that. that oh yeah. That don't, um, I one of my last big races, I puked towards the end of it from heat exhaustion. Wow. Um, I wasn't. It was very hot, and I wasn't drinking enough, and I didn't have the salt balance right to um, to absorb it. You know, so that yeah. wasn't even from overfueling. It was from just heat. Straight. You can get. You can get nausea from uh, heat exhaustion. Oh yeah. And uh, so let's see. You finished and you got second. Yeah. And are they, they? There's those studies that show people that get second are, are they show them on the podium at the Olympics and they're <laughs> they're mad because they could have gotten first, you know, and won the whole thing. And they show the yeah. person in third, and that person in third is like super excited just to be on the podium. <laughs> yeah. At all. So you're already talking about. Uh, uh, you want to go back next year, like you're driven, you see that you could win this thing. Right. Um, yeah. and if, if you just do some things differently and now that you've been there, you kind of know the, that's amazing that you got second and you've never done the race before. So like you're saying these like crazy descents and stuff, like you didn't even know the road. 
Yeah, so. you know, I think I think doing it, it, you know, it was great experience, and it, you know, you're one. I now know the roads a little bit better. I know what to expect, but I, you know, I totally underestimated just from a training point of view. I, you know, I knew, obviously, I knew the the downhill from Harvey is going to be 18 miles of downhill. I should do a lot of downhill running. I got to strengthen my quads. I knew all that, and I did that, but I just don't think I did enough of it. So, I, at least now I have a, I know what I did in training. And I now know that it wasn't sufficient for what was needed on on race yeah. day. Uh, so now I can go back and uh, go back to the drawing board for my 2017 race. Um, you know, and really change up that run training to uh, you know to be able to really execute that well. I I remember I think I was talking. It was either I interviewed Ian Sharman one time, and he's a top 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 ultra runner. And you know I, he might have won Western States 100. Uh, one year or he did the grand slam where they do five 100 milers in a year <laughs> and oh. uh the of the big ones you know and they they got whoever has the fastest cumulative time wins or something and it was either i was talking to him or he was talking to somebody else and and yeah the the preparation for these big ultra marathon mountain runs you know where they do like the equivalent of um everest over up you know, six times or something like that, like the hard rock 100, which is just brutal. They, um, he said that, you know, the upcoming month or two before the race, he'd go out like once or twice a week and just pound some like racing as fast as you can down downhills, like mm. the sides of mountains to just, they just beat the crap out of their quads. And it actually yeah. didn't take that many times. It's, it's weird. Like, um, once your quads get used to it, that, that amount of pain, because you can dish a ton yeah. of pain out to those quads really easily, um, with just a, you know, some fast downhill running. And then, uh, that would like, oh, temp- yeah. that would temper their legs. So then not uh, by race day, they would, um, they would not feel it all. And then another guy I talked to, oh, I can't remember his name now. He's one of the world champion, like six day running events. <laughs> <laughs> where they run yeah, around those the track. Guys are nuts. It's insane and nonstop running and um, would run with a running a, a weight vest. Like, um, yeah, yeah. And he lives like in a totally flat place. So he would run on a treadmill or whatever, just run around with like a 20 pound, you know, something uh, weight vest on. And that would well. do the impact on his, on his legs to beat him up because you've only got so many hours to train. Yeah, Especially yeah. in triathlon, he was just doing running. So triathlon, you've only got so many hours to train. So to yeah. to artificially beat up your legs was a weight vest. And um, I went out and got a weight vest and, and did that for a while. And I think that was the year I had my best race doing huh. uh, an ultra uh, marathon. So I was a big fan of it. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds. Yeah, of I think I think there's a ton to learn from these ultra runners. Yeah, they do all sorts of uh, crazy stuff in training. So oh, and you live um, in like the mecca of all that, right? You've got a whole yeah, lot of resources you could pull from for that yeah i'll hang out with some of those guys and um yeah, yeah i those hope they don't insane. convince me to do those those crazy six day races that's you know not only is it crazy racing for six days but six days around a track yeah. that is that is nuts and they just but, pull but over i'll on accept the side their training the, advice yeah they they pull over on the side of the track and just suddenly sleep for a while and then they get up and go <laughs> again um yeah. okay so let's see uh what's next uh coming up soon are you registered for next year or do you and what are you going to do in between 
so I will. I'll register. The, the only open registration. Um, I don't know, like early next year, sometime. So I, I'll register when it opens. Um, I'm I'm keen to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even regardless of the result, it's just a, it's an amazing experience. That's you know that's very different from you know your regular sort of Ironman race. It's uh you know it's a beautiful beautiful location. You get hit with all kinds of uh, weather. You know the elements appear to be against you, but then also with you at some point. So it's a it's a fantastic experience. I'll definitely do it again. Yeah. Um, but that's only November. So you're right now. I'm gonna. You know, I haven't done anything since then except for. You know, kind of old old lady style of uh, you know aqua movements in the pool and um, yeah the, the occasional don't steam get my hair session. wet the water's too cold yeah but that, yeah that's it I, uh, I'll be doing some skiing and stuff over the winter and then oh man uh, yeah I'll probably I'll probably start off with a um, your big run run focused block mm-hmm. uh, over you know, over what would be the off season for me and then. I'll probably I'll probably do some early season Ironman. So I was, I was thinking of doing Ironman Texas, which is in April, and then Ironman Boulder, which is in June. Yeah. Uh, and then taking a short break after that, doing some uh, you know harder, you know, more intense stuff like maybe some a few half Ironmans and Olympics. You're ready because because on the in the Ultraman you actually need that top end that you you don't necessarily need in an Ironman right. because you're not running after any of the uh, after any of the bike days. So. Yeah. And you have a rest. Uh, you have rest nights in, bet- yeah, in yeah. between, so you actually get to start off, yeah, race pace, like I mean, full on, yeah. So, okay. so I'll probably do a few seventy point threes, and then go into my Ultraman build, uh, starting around, you know, at, you know J- July August. So, so probably beginning of August, really start the Ultraman specific stuff, yeah. and uh, yeah, then then build up to November again. Did you have so much fun that you that you think that you might be like that other guy you were saying that's like on his eighth year, ninth year, where like this becomes your thing, and then Ironmans and half Ironmans are kind of filler in between? Oh yeah, I I, I guarantee you that already. That's that's pretty much how it's going to be. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> this is this, this is definitely my thing. Yeah, yeah it I, is. Yeah. It is your thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, Ironmans are just going to be yeah they're just convenient you know, local you know, races that are kind of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is going to be my thing that, yeah, there's one guy who raced this year. His name's Gary Wang in the Ultraman. He's, it's his 16th time. Wow. That's more. So he's done more Ultramans than I've done Ironmans. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I think they're really neat because there's, there's the whole element of stage racing, even though it's, it's kind of like in a weird way, it's kind of like the tour de France because you got these, you know, overnight breaks and you can start again the next day. Every day yeah. is another day of hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. And you can kind of finish hard because you because you got you got some rest coming. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a wild mix. Um, very very cool. Cool. Well, thanks for your time. Did did I um did I miss anything? Uh, were there any questions on slow twitch? I mean that the thread was pretty long with all kinds of questions that that uh. um, were directed at you that you wanted to be more uh, clear about on your answer or. No, I think I think we covered all that stuff. A lot of people ask me how was the how was the training different to Florida? How's the training different from an Ironman? So I think we covered all that stuff. People always want to know about nutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I tend to have something new with nutrition each time. So we I think we gave them enough new stuff this time to uh, to think about. Um, yeah, there's nothing I can think of that we that we haven't already covered. So the I remember the the on the glucose thing. Yeah, which is the like you said that's the brand name, but it. But it's basically is glucose, which is the um, uh, the reason it's 
in, Af in Europe, it's a big fuel, right? You can go buy just yes. glucose, which is actually, it depends on where it comes from. It's like corn syrup or something like that. But um, it's, uh, it's basically the same thing that's already in your, in your blood sugar. Uh, that is your blood sugar. It's glucose. So you don't really have to digest it hardly at all, right? Yeah, yeah, there's not a lot of overhead for your body to make that available as as fuel. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, so I use I use that, but then I also use that my traditional um, mix on the bike, which is the uh, maltodextrin and fructose mix. So I, I take uh, maltodextrin, fructose, and then uh, blend it in with ginger beer, and that's my yeah, oh. that's my primary fuel on the bike. So it's like I got these bottles that are 400 calories a bottle, have one of them per hour. Yeah, for the for the bulk of my ride, that's it, mm -hmm. and then yeah, for the for the towards the end of my ride, then I I kind of switch to the glucose stuff because it's yeah, it's it's simple and it's instant and it's uh, yeah, I drop the calories a bit as the intensity yeah. increases, so I go from 400 calories an hour of my malto fructose ginger beer mix to about you know 250 calories per hour of the glucose stuff towards the end. Yeah. And like you said, people need to remember that you're resting blood sugar. <laughs> yeah. Or I, I guess, I don't know what you, it's not, is it resting blood sugar? But anyway, it's 80 something or, or yeah. right around 80. So it shows yeah. you can do it. Like it's possible yeah. to fuel well on the bike and, uh, and also be healthy with your blood sugar at yeah. the same time. So, cause you're burning it off, right? If you're doing yeah, it you're right. burning it off. Uh, yeah, and I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend like day in and day out um, hitting yourself with that much sugar. But for three days, it's mm -hmm. yeah. You kind of want to be as efficient as possible, and yeah, the simpler the the sugar you get in, and the the fewer ingredients you actually cons consume in that drink, uh, the less taxing it is on your body to actually digest and process that stuff. All right. Well, cool. All right. Well, thanks uh, for coming on the show. And I've had you on yeah. here, uh, a long time, and got to let you go. And I really appreciate it. I'll get the show out for everybody as soon as I can. Awesome. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to chat to you again. Oh, yeah. It's an honor talking with you. Thanks, man. Cool, man. All right, bye. Thanks, Brett. Okay, bye. All right, folks. Thank you so much, Rob Gray. Again, you can check him out at robgray.org and all of his blog postings about how the race went down. Super cool having him on. And in the meantime, while you were listening to that interview, I was actually getting a colonoscopy <laughs> between when I finished uh, recording for the intro and then when we picked up again just right now. And that is some interesting stuff. I have uh, a family history, a really severe family history of colon cancer. And so I started getting colon colonoscopies. That's where they put the camera up your rear end and look around to make sure you don't have any uh, beginnings of cancer. Colon cancer is real slow growing. And at first, it's uh, every five years, and when you're age 45 or 50 or something like that. But um, when I was a kid, when I was like in eighth grade, about my uh, grandmother came down with colon cancer, and then uh, her daughter, my dad's uh, sister, this is both on my dad's side of the family, uh, came down with colon cancer, and they both died. And my dad went in to get um, scoped like this, and this is in the mid 80s 1980s and they uh they found polyps in him that's how they start off is polyps and um cut them out and uh, my dad took the pictures uh because the whole thing is if it's in your family especially and also anybody when you get to be a certain age it's like in your 40s or 50s you need to get checked out anyway 
regardless of your family history. Um, but it's, it, you need to go, uh, get checked out and they, um, people have a, you know, a fear, uh, logically of things being shoved up your butt. <laughs> and, uh, so it's hard to get people to go in. Uh, but, uh, I think the, the trigger that allows me to not think about it too much is, uh, my dogs are play fighting in the background. <laughs> The thing that, that makes it okay for me, and like I was like no problem with it, is when my dad went in and they found polyps in them. They take pictures while you're in, while they're in there because it's a camera on a long thread. Um, you know, it's like a robot little uh, rope that they run up you, so it's no big deal. And they um, they uh, take pictures while they're out there. And my dad, being my dad, uh, taped the picture printouts. Uh, I think it's all on one page back then on the refrigerator door at, at eye height level of the inside of his butt for everybody to see. And there was little polyps and, and, uh, where they cut them out. Let's say it was three of them or something like that. And, um, and so as a, as a kid, I grew up with it being normal that a responsible adult goes in and gets stuff checked. And when they do, they sometimes find stuff and, um, my grandmother and my aunt had passed away from this stuff, and my dad is alive today, many years later, because he went and got checked. And so when it came to be time for me, uh, with a family history, they say you should probably go at age 30, 35, or something like that. So I guess I was like 35. I went in, and um, the very first time, it's kind of weird. You're wondering, like, what what's going to happen? Is it going to be... Uh, you know, are they going to hold you down while you're yelling and run a rod up your butt like a fishing pole or something like that? And so you're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be uh, terrible. And then what actually happens is they go, all right, um, change into this gown. And they're very professional, very cool. And then they go, all right, um, they put you under gen general, I don't know if it's general anesthesia. I guess it is. And they have to sign all these things that you're going to be knocked out. And you're like, okay. And then they go, all right, hey, how's it going? So, um this is what, like, today, this is what I remember. Uh, something like, you said you you um, you you uh, ride uh, bicycles or something like that? And I was like, yeah, I do. And then and the next thing I know, I wake up. And it's been an hour later, maybe, hour, hour and a half later, I wake up. And I'm back in the room where I started out earlier in the day. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, are we done? And they go, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, I go, well, how'd it go? And they go, today they go, well, we found a polyp and, um, and we cut it out. It was real small. And uh, when I got home, I Googled it and not all polyps are, are uh, cancerous. It doesn't really mean anything to have a polyp, but all cancers, all colon cancers start from a polyp. So if you cut the polyps off um, and they're just like a bump, they can get kind of elongated and dangly. I guess kind of like a little testicle is what it would look like. Um, then uh, if they cut them off, then uh, you never get the start of a colon cancer. And they're pretty slow growing, so you've got plenty of time. And it, they said in my family history, now that they found one and now that, oh, there's a genetic test I can have done to see if, you know, how inclined I am. If I'm a positive on this test, then I'm 80% likely to get colon cancer at some point. I mean, oh my God. Then, uh, then you would go in every three years or something like that. So it's not that big of a deal. So my whole thing is if uh, you're a certain age or if there's colon cancer in your family, 
go get checked. It is totally worth it, the peace of mind, to know that you're clean down in there and that uh, you're not going to get this stuff. They can totally prevent it. It's awesome. And uh, the only, the, the thing about it, you know, doing something up your butt or something like that is is uh, unfounded. Don't worry about it. That's a non-issue. It's kind of funny even to joke about it and stuff. The Because um, I was joking about it at work with my coworkers. They're like, hey, do you have Friday off? I go, yep, I'm getting a camera up my butt <laughs> to see if I have colon cancer. And they're like, what? Oh, my God. And it's funny, like... You're like, oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. and uh, But they're like, what? It's going to go up your butt? Oh, my God. And it ends up being funny uh, conversation. It's, it's, all, it's all in how you treat it. And then the only downside is the day before, like two days before, you have, you have to have your colon tract like empty for the, you know, or else they're just going to run right in the poop immediately up in there. So you have to start doing things two or three days before. Like... Um, no, three days before, it's like no beans, um, and, and it's because of the shell-ish kind of material on the outside. So no beans, no corn. I'm trying to remember what else. but And then um, the day before, it's uh, no, on top of, you know, the stuff before that, then it's no solid foods, only clearish liquids. And if you do eat solid foods, then it has to be like jello and whatever, and nothing that's red or blue, I think, because they could mistake that for blood. And so no, no red Gatorade, for example, but you could do orange Gatorade or you can do clear, whatever. And so the day before, this is my third time to go in for this. And I've got it down to a science. Now, um, don't starve yourself. If you just eat clear liquids, you're sitting there going, well, it's just water. Well, then you're not getting enough calories in and you become a miserable wreck. And actually what you do is, um, uh, you can find clear liquids and jello, uh, with calories in it. Right. So I've got maltodextrin powder. I just added maltodextrin powder and I did coconut oil, for example, which is clear and loaded with, uh, calories, uh, two tablespoons has 250 calories. Right. So you just do a, a, a tablespoon of coconut oil every once in a while. And that keeps in some uh, maltodextrin powder. And the day before you're not, yelling at people and angry because you're starving and that's uh that's how it goes man and uh then the oh and then the 12 or it's like the six hours before or eight hours before they got you on a schedule and um you have to start drinking this fluid that makes you crap everything out of your system that is what sucks because you're constantly um pooping uh, everything out. And it's, uh, I think I had to drink about half a gallon altogether of, of the stuff and then water. Um, and you have to drink it on a schedule and yeah, it's, it's amazing what comes out of your body. It's actually pretty horrific. And the, uh, pooping is gross and that's the downside. It's not things going up you. It's the things coming out of you the day before that's, uh, pretty nasty. All right, let's uh let's uh leave that where that is. Um but it's survivable and I'm glad and uh it's a little PSA out there that uh go get it done and you may end up saving your life and if somebody else won't go do it uh, because we're like my brother, he will not go do it. And 
the fact that they found a polyp this time, maybe that'll get them to go. And I bug them. Everybody bugs them. Your, your dumb little brother goes and gets it done. Be a big older brother and do the right thing, you know? Um, and so tell people that you heard about it, that you don't feel it. It's actually the best nap you ever took. And uh, you're sleepy the rest of the day, which is nice. You get the day off from work and it's just nice. And they're very professional and there's uh, nothing going on down there. Nobody messing around up your rear end. All right. Also, I wanted to mention a really good book. Let's see. It is, <laughs> I'm going to bleep it out. This is a really great book that I've been listening to, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> and that's really the title. <laughs> and I found it on Audible. It recommended it to me, uh, recommended it to me uh, from uh, other books that I had listened to. And I was like, oh, I'll give this, I'll, I'll give this a try. And actually, I want to recommend it to y'all to say that um, it's really good. And what's really good about it is the beginning and the very end. Um, the middle, I'll tell why the middle isn't very good in a second. But the beginning is all these examples of how we um, and they're real short, so it drives the point home. By overthinking things and caring too much, we kind of uh, subvert. No, that's not the word. Uh, undermine. We undermine ourselves a little bit and sabotage. That's the word. We sabotage uh, progress. Progress for you Canadians. And I can't uh, get as much done as what we want. And it's just from caring too, just a slight, slight bit too much about things. And um, and I think that's why the title is called The Subtle Art, S-U-B-T-L-E, Art. Um, it's because you don't want to not care too much, but um, because then you're, you're uh, pretty much a sociopath at that point. But um, if, if you don't, if you care too much about too much stuff, then you're not able to get the, the thing done that you want to get done, Right. So it's you don't give an F about the other things because, because you are working on your goal, right? So it would be like this. I'm, I, you act towards other people like you don't care about what they're eating and you don't care about uh, hanging out with them when they drink alcohol and um, eat pork chops and chicken wings, uh, right? You're like, no, nope, I'm not into that. I got other things to do, right? Because the other thing that you're going to do is a life goal that makes you really successful, and that's training for an Ironman, for example, or a 100 miler, you know. And so it allow by not caring too much about other things and wanting to please other people, then you're able to actually focus on something um, that the one or two or three things in your life that are actually really important and you're able to get those done now. And that's what's really cool. So the first uh, chapter or so of the book is um, a lot of examples of that. Uh, it makes it really obvious, like, oh, it's like how to do it, like how to act like it. And then the, the middle of the book is, um, it's long drawn out examples. And it, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like filler for the book. And then I found like the last chapter or two were really good because it was like the impact that it uh, has on you and um, what it means deep down inside 
uh, acting like this and the final fruition and kind of the Zen of it all of, uh, and that's, um, it's very Zen actually, you know, one thing, one, one thing at a time, only this, only right now, nothing else, right? It's very in line with, uh, with, uh, Zen thought. So definitely want to recommend it. Go check that book out. And before we get into the training log, let's do our, uh, donations and Hornet juice, um, you can help support the show by either donating to the show or uh, getting some Hornet juice, one or the other. is really cool. So Hornet juice is an amino acid protein. That's the other thing that I took yesterday uh, when I was getting ready for my colonoscopy. Um, I'm like, okay, this is all carbs and fat and no protein. I'm going to add some protein. Boom, Hornet juice. Added it in, and I felt really good. It was nice. Uh, Hornet juice is a synthetic amino acid uh, it's just a protein powder that you mix in with your fuel. One packet lasts an hour and a half. So you can either use it for uh, shorter workouts, just one packet, or for longer workouts, one, maybe two. And um, what it does is it tells your body to activate fat burning, and it makes your body feel like a diesel engine. It's so cool. It's really, really amazing stuff. I've been using it for years and years and years and years, and people buy it and love it, and they come back and buy more. It's awesome. So there's a link on the left side of the page. No, the right side of the page. It's kind of purple and and uh, yellow, blue and yellow. And you can um, click on that and you order your Hornet juice. And then it comes to me. The order comes to me. I tell Hornet juice that you ordered it. They send it to you. So you get this package from New Zealand, which is super cool. And then um, you get an email back from me that uh, says, hey, how's it going? Your Hornet juice is on its way. And it's uh, super you get, you get an email from me, you get the stuff from New Zealand, and you get this novelty, awesome stuff that's synthetic Japanese killer hornet saliva protein powder. <laughs> You're like, dude, show it to all your friends. And not only that, it's not novelty. It freaking works. <clears throat> so now you got your special trick that you use in, in big training days and on race day and stuff. And uh, it's, it's fun, man. It's really, really fun. And it makes training fun. It, that's what it's all about. It's so cool. Plus it works. And also like out of every order, I get like 5% or something small like that. And you, um, so you're helping, uh, the show because a little slice of it comes off to a uh, Zentri, which helps uh, pay for all the podcast bandwidth and stuff like that. And then also the other thing you can do is on the left side of Zentriathlon.com, you can scroll down and just do, do a straight up donation. That's it. You don't you don't need horn juice. You got your protein powder mix fueling like covered. You don't you don't want to mess with that stuff or you've gotten some recently, you don't care. And uh, you just want to do a straight up donation. So you can do either do a one time or you can do a recurring. Either way, I get your name and I mention it on the show, which is super cool. So that's on the left hand side of zentrathlon.com. And once you have my email address, um, through doing an order or through do, doing a donation, you can ask a question on the show. You can send it by email, and I'll answer it. We don't have any questions this episode, but um, you know what? I invite um, people to ask more questions, like training questions. People ask them on Twitter all the time. Hey, Brett, you got? I've got this situation. What would you do? I've got this situation. What would you do? And I love answering that stuff. So um, we could do like a question and answer episode, like ten questions. So I invite uh, people to send those in, but. Let me mention these donations. Uh, Katie Joe sent a donation. Peter Salzen. Oh, by the way, a lot of these donations are recurring. So um, it's four bucks a month, $3.99 a month if you set up for the recurring, which is like a dollar an episode, 
which is really cool, and I really appreciate it. And James Godek, Brian Kemper, Todd Nelson, Matthew Heinz, uh, who also sent me a message saying that my Twitter feed was strong <laughs> recently <laughs> because I live-tweeted the process of me uh, going through eating almost nothing all day long. It was like butter, coffee, orange popsicle, orange Gatorade, like just tweeting this stuff. And then, oh my God, what's coming out of my body when I was uh, doing the colonoscopy prep. So uh, I'm on Twitter. You can go check that out. Zintrathlon on Twitter. And uh, just trying to make it entertaining for myself. And let's see, uh, John Mulong and Jonathan Woodman and Hun Chu. What's up, dude? And Justice Phillips, my favorite trail runner. And Karen Jackson and Simon Wright and Daniel Clemens. And if I didn't mention your name, I've got it in the queue and we'll mention it next episode. I got to go check uh, on that. And that is cool. All right. So next we're going to get into the training log. I talk a little bit about going vegan, um, trying to heal my plantar fasciitis because, um, I'll tell because why in a second. And then I'm trying to remember what else. Oh, um, kind Emily, uh, dare me to fast for, uh, 12 hours and I do it and (laughs) you get to follow me along in that, which sucked. (laughs) <laughs> and just some other random stuff in there. It's pretty fun. And also, I just noticed, I was talking to my buddy Morgan, and the Brazos Bend 100 is now open for registration. So it looks, it's $180 for the 100, and it's not just that. Let me see if I can find the uh, sign-up page. Oh, I lost it. Okay, but anyway, there's a 100-mile... And then there's a 100-mile relay. And then there is a 50-mile and then a marathon and a half marathon all in the same day, uh, starting the same day. So you can definitely go check that out. It is the Brazos Bend Ultra, like, I guess, uh, all-day festival, pretty much. And it's Christmas-themed. Uh, so if you want to wear like an ugly Christmas sweater and have jingle bells and dress with a Santa hat, then you can do that at this race and you will fit right in and it's dead flat. It'd be really cool if we have a bunch of Zen try people show up to do this thing. Don't register yet and expect me to be there. I'll tell you when I register, we got plenty of time. It's $180. I'm waiting for my feet to totally heal up. Um, they're very, very close and then I'll register and, um, so we're talking like maybe a couple more weeks or something like that. And then we're Cool. Okay, that's it. And uh, let's go ahead and get started with the training log. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! I'm going to do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, are we here? Okay. Welcome to a new training hall. I am walking around the kitchen. I'm super stoked because I found a new recording app 
which allows you to append to an existing recording app. So I can just keep going with the training log without having to take this file and that file and that file and that file and then try to figure out which one happened when and then stitch them all together. So that is a big upper. And also I just did some push-ups, and oh my gosh, the downer is the crackling in my left elbow from the um, broken arm I sustained a year ago, almost to the day, is just insane. Uh, it's really, really bad. At some point, I'll try to get a recording of it. And let's see, I'm uh, the upper is the feeling you get from doing push-ups. So rad. I might do a set here in a minute. Get people motivated because I'm so happy. And then I am packing up because I'm getting ready to go on the road to go um, to Tyler to have Christmas there. And I'm packing up a whole bunch of veggie stuff, some a whole bunch of vegan stuff. Ooh, that orange is not good anymore. That thing is just contaminated. Holy crap. I'm not even going to handle it with one hand. I got to get a spare. Got to have both hands and a towel to get rid of that one. And the, uh, I, I am on a huge high, <laughs> but not because it gets you that way, on hemp. I found out, I've got hemp powder in my uh, pantry, and I really haven't been doing anything with it. And then I decided to start taking it, and then I really liked it because it surprised me about how green it was. And I'm like, man, this stuff's got a lot of the hemp uh, husk, I guess, seed husk in it. And it's super green and stuff. And I'm like, oh, greens, you know. Well, how good is this leafy green that's uh, in there that I'm noshing on there? And I looked it up, and it's not the greens, man. Well, one thing, like one serving has as much fiber as like a third of your daily requirements. One serving. And then it was the protein. Oh, my God. Hemp protein blows every other plant protein out of the water and pretty much matches up with any animal protein, especially because of the bioavailability of it. Your body can absorb it really easily. So even if some animal proteins have more protein, your body can't really use it. And then there's the whole thing, which I'm slowly discovering. Um, when I was vegan, I was uh, perfectly skinny. I was an ideal body weight for my height around 168, 170, and the, uh, ever since i gone back on to not eating that, I just keep putting on weight, putting on weight, putting on weight, just, just inching up just the tiniest little bit at a time, and then I was watching these, uh, these studies, um, these scientific, uh, releases on YouTube and stuff about how, um, your body, it's not carbs, it's your, uh, if it's simple sugar, yeah, but just plain carbs like apples and, and fruit and baked potatoes and stuff like that don't really matter um, with an insulin spike. It, when, but when you do um, animal protein, uh, one, <laughs> a beef patty spikes your insulin more than white bread, a bowl of pasta. It's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. So it's like, why are we uh, so into this... Uh, all this meat and stuff all the time, man. It's actually counterproductive. And then if you couple it with um, with uh, carbs, then it's like way, way worse. So I've been uh, been bouncing around the vegan train a little bit. Um, I've definitely, dude, you ain't been vegan until you've been raw vegan. And I was raw vegan for almost a year. So I know my way around the vegan parking lot. But I did not know about him. And what happens is I feel like I didn't know it, but that was apparently my biggest question was like, man, where 
it's a stupid question. Where are you going to get your protein from, right? But it's way in the back of your head. Um, and also, uh, I would never do raw again. You need, especially if you're an athlete, you need uh, cooked foods. You just don't get enough calories in. But I've been eating hemp protein for about a week. And it seems to solve so many of my problems as far as the amount of protein I'm getting in. I feel happy. Like, I got no worries. Uh, one serving of hemp protein has as much protein as two eggs. And then none of the animal crap in it that's bad for you. And then the other thing is um, it also comes with a ton of fiber. And it's a, it's a leafy green of sorts. It's got the husk, which is leafy green of hemp. And I'm like... Man, this, you know, they say a perfect storm is when three things come together, not just two, but it's three. And then it's just unavoidable. And I'm like, man, this thing takes care of protein and uh, it's got fiber in it and it's, a, it's got some leafy green mixed in with it. I'm like, dude, this might be uh, my answer. I realized after a few days of using it about how happy I was. And I was like, man, maybe um, if I went uh, vegetarian, vegan again, then... Um, all I got to do is just eat some of this stuff on a regular basis. And I like it. I've been adding it to everything. I like it. And uh, it's easy to find. And I'm like, man, maybe this, uh, you got to feel secure, you know. You don't feel like you're off balance or else you're going to quit. And I'm like, man, this is the big picture. This is like everything I need to go um, vegan, vegetarian again. Because my weight is pissing me off, especially because I haven't been able to train as much. Because I'm trying to let my feet heal. Um, Speaking of which, the last thing I'm going to mention was, uh, well, this morning I biked, but then I quit at an hour. I was planning on doing two hours, but I quit at an hour because uh, the arches of my feet started to hurt. I got plantar fasciitis, and I was like, oh, it's starting to hurt a little bit. Better stop. It's putting out good watts, though, man. Um, what was I doing? Uh, easily going 240, 250 watts by accident. And I was like, man, I don't need to be doing that. Um, I need to be backing off just for my easy. And then, uh, then what was the other thing? Um, oh, in the middle of the night, I woke up and stretched a little bit. I was like on my back and I was like, ah, stretch, right? And what do you do when you stretch? Oh, yesterday I did um, some intervals on the bike and also I went to the gym and lifted. And I did mostly machines, but I did a little bit of a little bit of free weights, but mostly machines. And I did quads and hams, no calves, no calf stretching, because that seems to 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 activate your calves. You got to um, push down with your your feet, and then you get that uh, you're stressing out your arches, your plantar fasciitis. So uh, pull ups and all kinds of cool stuff. Overhead press felt great, and then. I was uh, so I was laying in bed at like 2 a.m. I guess I don't know what I was doing, but I was laying there at what time it was, and I was laying there and I go, oh, and I stretch. So what do you do when you stretch? You kind of tighten up some. You kind of if you stretch one way, you're tightening up all the muscles on your on your uh, backside. So you the your back, your triceps, do that like tighten up, arch your belly out, and then stand on your tippy toes, and you end up clenching your butt cheeks and pulling on your hamstrings, and you end up tightening your uh calves and i was laying there and i started stretching like that only for a second uh because i don't want to do too much with my calves like that and then um 
it felt like all of a sudden I was shot in my calf, and I think my calf went into my right calf, went into a uh, cramp. I don't know what it was, but it felt like a monster was ripping my calf off my leg and shooting me in the leg with a taser gun at the same time, all in in my calf. And I was trying to hold back from screaming and yelling. I was definitely making all kinds of horrible noises, but I was trying to muffle myself so I didn't wake up Emily or uh, Kai and scare them at two in the morning because I wasn't having a heart attack. (laughs) So I'm like, I don't want to freak them out. But I thought I was on the verge of needing somebody to help me. And it just kept going and going and going and it hurt so bad. And it was... Let's say it was a cramp in my calf. Um, when all the rest of the night, my calf hurt. When it finally stopped, my, my calf hurt. And then when I woke up this morning, my calf felt like it was just been, it had been in a car wreck, like it had been bruised, like a nail driven through it. It hurt. So I think I totally tore something in my calf by stretching and that, that, uh, and contracting on the stretch and that, um, activated a, uh, a, a cramp and stimulated a, the cause of a cramp. And then the cramp um, pulled so hard, contracted so hard on my calf that it tore my calf on the inside. So I, I feel like I've got a torn calf. Um, Emily looked at it this morning and said, there's no bruising on the outside that she can see. But the fact that I was asking her if she could see any bruising on it um, was uh, just shows you like how bad it was. I've, I really, I haven't felt pain like that either ever or in so long, I can't remember. It was extremely painful. So that's it. Um, I'm headed on the road and let's see, healthy stuff. I got my hemp powder. I got peanut butter and jelly and Genesis bread, which is super healthy bread. And the, um, the jelly is chia. It's got chia seeds mixed in with the jelly. It's chia blackberry fruits bread which is really cool, and not much sugar added. And then I ran out of coconut milk. got some ashwagandha powder, which I really like. And I'm about to have some uh, vegan enchiladas. So it's beans, rice, corn tortilla, and then more beans and corn and onion mixed in, and then with some fresh salsa on top of it to load up. And... Yeah, I think that's it. All right, that's it. I got stuff to do or else I'm going to be late. Out, bang. All right, I'm back. Ah, here we go. Man, I got two things I want to talk about. And they're both really valuable. One is how to meditate. (laughs) And the other one's how to do pull-ups. Both very, very valuable, very cool things. And uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk about how to uh, meditate first. It's actually really, really simple. It's so simple and it's that it's so rewarding that people get confused about it and then think it, they build a religion around it when actually it's just a really simple tool. It's pretty cool. So you can't move forward until you let go of the past and you don't know it, but your subconscious is the boss. And it's kind of like at your job, you really can't do anything new or different until you ask the boss, right? And what will your boss say? Your boss will say, well, have you finished this other project that you're supposed to be working on? And if you haven't, 
then you're kind of screwed, right? You uh, you can only kind of half work on the new thing or not even really work on the new thing and you get frustrated and you're kind of miserable. And you're just uh, frantic and busy and don't really know why. And the next thing you know, you're dead. No, just kidding. But, well, you could live your whole life like that. Most people do. But what meditation does is you sit in a calm position. This whole thing where you have to sit cross-legged and you have to do this and you have to focus on your breathing and da-da-da-da-da. That's all extra. Extra. And in Zen, we are not a fan of extra or a fan of only. Only now, only this. Only nothing. But uh, what you do is you sit in a quiet environment that is very relaxing to you. So it can be a dark room if you, at that moment, uh, crave a dark room. It could be with light music. It could be with uh, no music. It could be with the sound of rain. It doesn't matter. It could be light chatter in the background. It could be all kinds of different things. Uh, a totally quiet room with earplugs in. It doesn't really matter. You'll know over time what works for you. What works for me is a dark room uh, laying mostly on my back. And then you take with you, before you start this, a um, uh, either a program that you're going to write things down in, like your phone or a laptop, and open up a screen to a blank notepad, uh, and then, or a piece of paper and a pencil that's blank. And you sit there, and you try not to think of anything. And this is a skill in itself. It takes a little while to kind of figure out. It's All you do is, as you think of something, you realize, oh, I'm thinking of something again. Let's not think of anything. And you'll see how thoughts uh, connect and connect and connect and connect. And the next thing you know, you're thinking about how it's probably your sister's fault that the cat escaped from the house and got run over when you were six. And maybe that's why you got in trouble in your homeroom later on that day because you were really mad at your sister and then gosh they had pizza like that that day at, at that school it was so good and maybe we'll have pizza tonight and see how it goes like on and on and on right so <laughs> when you notice that you're doing that you try to um, uh, don't try too hard because now you're trying again but you kind of let that go and keep trying to not think of anything but don't try too hard you just you just uh, because now you're trying again, and now you're active. You're active. You want to be passive and uh, just not be thinking of anything, and kind of let go and let go and let go and let go of that thought and let go of that thought. And that's why they say you know focus on the breath, because that's something you're always doing, and it's you. So just you know relax and focus on your breath. But another the other way is because some people have trouble with the breath, and they spend forever trying to focus on their breath, and then they realize, oh, if I hold a trinket in my hand I could focus on that and that worked and they spent 10 years focusing on the breath instead of something that actually worked for them uh, it's just the breath just happens to be a common one to start off with and then uh, you can change it from there it's not a big deal uh, and then eventually you learn that it's not really anything it's just focusing not it's focusing on not not focusing <laughs> because the whole point is, what you're trying to do is get to the point where you're not thinking of anything, right? 
and you'll have a moment, an extended moment, where you'll suddenly feel very relaxed and uh, just chilled out, and you're not really thinking of anything, right? And what I call that is the moment when the water uh, gets smooth. So if you're at a lake, all of a sudden the surface of the pond, the lake, uh, gets smooth because there's no wind stirring it up. Uh, you're no longer looking at a bubbling stream. The bubbling stream is just the constant thought, thought, thought. I should do this. I need to be doing that. Past, future, past, future, past, future. <laughs> right? And then it's just, uh, And you uh, are just laying there and or sitting there, whatever you want to do. Um, see, if you're sitting upright and it kind of hurts a little bit, you're so focused on sitting perfectly. You're sitting in a group. You're wondering, what is everybody else doing? So you don't need to do all that. You can just be by yourself. And when you have a moment where everything's calm and quiet, you're most of the way there. Supposedly what is happening is your brain waves are changing state from active to passive. And now you're turning on the point where you can actually listen to your subconscious boss. And what you'll notice is you'll have a recurring thought of, you kind of ask yourself, what should I, I wonder, uh, what's, what's today going to look like? And then it'll say, your brain will say, oh, you've got this meeting at 8 p.m. And, um, no, at 8 p.m., at uh, 8 a.m. And also you've got, this mic works better like this. And also you've got a, um, Oh, you want to run this afternoon. And also, you want to... What's something else? Oh, your uh, bike's got a flat tire. You need to change your bike tire. And these things keep coming up. And the reason they keep coming up is because you haven't figured them out yet. The reason your brain keeps, uh, you know, popping them up. And now you can't move forward on other things until you take care of these thoughts. So then you visualize and maybe write down on paper these, those things, okay? Um, meeting at 8 o'clock. Well, why does that keep popping up in your brain? You've got this meeting at 8 o'clock. It's because you're not really prepared for it. Somebody's going to be there that you're intimidated by or you want to impress. Um, you need to read something before you uh, go to the meeting. If you ask yourself, if you have a little bit of insight, that's why it's called insight meditation. If you ask yourself, why is this thing keep popping up in my mind? This thing I want to, uh, my subconscious won't let go. When I try to still the water, the water's still, oh, here's a wave, what is this, right? That's the whole point of getting still first. And, because then you'll be able to see the, the, the important waves. And then you say, oh, well for this meeting, I, uh, I'll feel a whole lot better. How would this go, how would this go right? How would this go well? visualize that and then you say oh well I need to read that one thing that email that had a, an attachment you go okay write that down read email for attachment uh, attachment and email for the meeting and you go okay now uh, this bike tire that I need to change right that's a whole lot of things going on right there so why does it keep bothering you're like well actually I don't have I don't know that's all, it's always what it is, is you don't know something, right? Because if you already knew all the details of something, your subconscious wouldn't be bothering you. 
that's the thing. You don't know what's in that email attachment, right? So it's the unknown. And you don't know where your uh, a spare tube is and what caused the flat in the first place. That's, what, that's why changing the tire is bothering you. And that's why it's taking up brain cycles that you could be using on something else. And then you say, um, what was the thing? You're going to run this evening? And you're kind of like, well, what is... What does a successful run this evening look like? And, you're, and then you go, I don't know. Should I run after dinner or, or before dinner? Um, and then you go, there's your problem. Or maybe you don't know what the weather's going to be like. Well, there's your problem. So you say, oh, uh, look at the weather report. Now I know exactly what the weather's going to be like. Or you, you get down to the, you need to decide if you're going to run before or after dinner. Uh, text your spouse or somebody and say, hey, what, what, are, what is the plans for tonight? And then say, okay, I am going to run uh, before dinner. Cool? And they say, cool. Boom. Problem solved. That one's gone. Now you no longer have that in your brain. And you'll notice that after you take care of those very few things. See, we just did this in, um, what, five minutes, ten minutes? After you take care of those very few things in your mind, right? You get rid of the, the don't know parts the unknown parts of the things that pop up that create waves in your subconscious then where your subconscious interrupts your conscious now all of a sudden you can be relaxed for pretty much the rest of the day and I guess you could do it again like that afternoon you could sit down for 10-15 minutes and practice this routine again and um, then you uh, carry that piece of paper with you for the rest of the day and make sure that those things that you're going to do get done and now you've created a really good habit that is uh, repeatable and uh, you could keep those pieces of paper to kind of see your progress over time. It's really nice. Take a picture of them with your phone and keep them. <sighs> so that is actually the basics of meditation. Oh, I'm going over the Navasota River. I'm running a little bit high today. Oh, we're going down the one lane. All right, now how to do a proper pull-up. So I was watching some videos of somebody doing some pull-ups and it pissed me off because they're like, look at this person, look how awesome they are. Look at all these pull-ups they can do in a row. They can do like 30 pull-ups in a row. And the title of the video was like, amazing girl or guy, whatever it was, this is like a couple weeks ago. Can do, watch them do um, 30 pull-ups, 50 pull-ups without stopping. Wow, amazing, woman, destroys pull-up bar. I hate that when they say destroys. It makes me so aggravated. I'm like, you did not destroy anything. You know what destroy means? But anyway, the uh, the thing is, is a pull-up is not a pull-up unless you extend your arms all the way. So this person would come down to uh, maybe their arm is at a 90 degree angle instead of 180 degree. 180 degree is totally straight. Arms lock out lock out all the way to the to flat you're hanging completely down so it's your hands that are holding you onto the bar no bicep activation or anything that is down and then up is your chin above the bar level now if you were doing a military test a, a true physical fitness test it's palms forward lock out all the way on the way down or they don't count it and now you've wasted if you only go most of the way down you've wasted a rep which wears you out 
because you've done almost a full rep, but it didn't even count. And yeah, that's that's how you do it. And what you'll find out is like, well, you know, if I if I hang all the way down, well, I'm getting a I'm getting a rest, and it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not getting a rest whatsoever. If you hang all the way down, um, the effort it takes to go from completely straight arm to to you know just a tenth of the way up is really difficult. So the rest you might gain from hanging for a second is uh, completely uh, undone by the effort it takes to go from a 180-degree angle to lifting, uh, just uh, to get going on the pull-up whatsoever. Now, what I've noticed uh, what's nice is a gizmo or gadget, whatever you can find to uh, keep your feet from swinging all over the place. Uh, you can hang a belt with a weight from it, from your feet or something like that. Or you can use this push, pull up assist thing and only add a couple pounds to it and then keep your feet on it and then that'll keep your legs straight. But whatever, that doesn't matter. That's not the point. Um, bicep curls are the same thing. If you don't extend your arm all the way out, then you're not activating the full length of the muscle whenever you begin another curl. It's always like that for all of them. And be hardcore. You deserve it. We expect the best from you. You can do it. All right, that is it. And I got to get back to doing my stuff. Here we go. Out, bang. All right. Okay. <laughs> my gosh. I I uh, stopped that recording and thought, you know, now's a good time to actually meditate. I'm driving. I'm not really doing anything. And I can just kind of mentally try to try to mentally check out and see what pops up. And within like five minutes I was like oh the whole thing that I was uh, wanting to say during that previous recording the whole point uh, that I, of pull-ups <laughs> one of my rant about how to do a pull-up right is because I can finally do a pull-up right again uh, like I said earlier it's been a year to the day pretty much I'm trying to remember it doesn't matter what the exact date is that I broke my arm and in the emergency room they said I'd never be able to straighten out my arm ever again. And they're pretty much, they're still kind of right. I can't, I still can't get my arm, my left arm, 100% straight. I've got about a few degrees, like, oh, now it's catching, now oh, pop, uh, where I can't get it completely straight. But it is straight enough. Uh, for months, if I tried to do a pull-up, well, one, I couldn't do anything. And then then I could kind of start doing it, but I was mostly using my right arm, and my left arm would not straighten all the way out. So I was one arm was definitely uh, shorter than the other because it wouldn't straighten out. My left arm was shorter, so my pull-ups were all kind of weird. And it's been a while. I haven't, done any, I haven't tried to do pull-ups for um, a few months maybe. But I've noticed swimming that my left arm is getting straighter uh, at the arm extension ahead of my head and on the push off of the wall. And then I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Just kind of observing. And then yesterday I was doing pull-ups and it hit me. My arm is completely straight. Well, straight enough. When I, I hang down, uh, it's pretty freaking straight. And I'm like, whoa, holy cow. That is progress. So I've overcome 
the uh, major problem with um, with uh, that was bothering me. There's somebody on horseback. We are in Texas. Somebody on horseback just crossed the street. <laughs> We're um, in Madisonville, Texas, and I can now do correct pull-ups again. And I know what correct pull-ups are, and that's why. I went on my rant about them and how great that is. So that's the value of meditation right there is it allowed me to go back and remember the important thing that I wanted to say in the first place. And it, oh, it feels so good to be able to do a correct pull-up again. So nice. So nice. All right. I think that was it. Okay. Out, bang. That girl is a real cloud free. I say cloud. Uh, all right, I am in the car with uh, my beautiful triathlete wife, right? Kai, you're not my triathlete wife, you're somebody else. And then my uh, hyperactive son. So, what is on my head? Oh my God. Anyway, um, we're going to, they challenged me. We were listening to uh, On Air with Ella podcast, which is a health and fitness podcast. And she was talking about fasting. And I said, I could fast. And then Emily said, no way. Well, and then Kai was like, what Not is fasting? And then, um, uh, yeah, she was saying three days. Uh-huh. And I said, I fasted before to have a colonoscopy twice or three. I don't know how many of I had, two at least. And um, Got one coming up. Okay. And then, I, and then Emily said about that. I said... Kai, you don't want to be around Dad if he's fasting for very long because you get so freaking cranky. And then, well, you said that that didn't even really count because it was like 12 hours. Was it a day? Started the night before. Yeah. So it's not even a full day. No. Yeah. And Kai didn't know what fasting was for 20 minutes. And she never said... You, you just assume that people know what that is, right? But so Kai's 12. He doesn't know what that is. And then when I told him what it was, you should have seen the look on his Kai face. Was eating chips. Yeah, Kai was eating Funyuns. <laughs> and the look on his face was like, why would you do that? That sounds insane. And uh, definitely kids, I don't think kids should ever fast. Um, you're, not done, you're not done growing yet. And there's a whole bunch of things, like, we're not getting to that at all. There's a million reasons why you would never fast. And so, um, like, one was like, not even pregnant women, but women that have uh, just given birth. Given birth, it's been nine months, but like, still, your sleep is all off. Your all kind, all kinds of crazy okay, stuff. There's no reason. To. So we're doing a bet that um, I could fast for a day, oh, right? Is that what you said? I didn't think you put a time limit on. No, you just said you could fast. Well, gosh, I mean, you go like three days. That's like insane. That's like medically like that's um. Not you need medical health. supervision. So. Uh, and that's not even, probably not even smart. But I said I could fast for a day, and you said no way. So every hour, so this was the bet. Every hour. Out? You're still going to work out? I don't know. Enough? Probably not. Oh, you can't change it. You can't mess up your workouts, according to you. <laughs> Quit trying to undo it. No. I, I'm just, so we're Quit like trying to change the rules. Since you ate something. Yeah, and, and you're grumpy, and, and I'm happy. I'm not grumpy. Yeah. So I'm that shows when wait. you fast, other people get grumpy in my family. So... <laughs> Yeah. I've been around you when you don't eat, and it's not fun. Okay. It's not fun because he starts eating chairs. And but I have discipline. Okay. At least he doesn't eat the. And so say so what this is, is well. Okay, you say it. So I said, "What do kind I get 
when you crack or whatever because it's going to happen. <laughs> well, eventually, or you and, die. And your response was, for every hour that you are able to fast, kind of have to say that you're the best. At everything. At, at whatever. At, at everything. Yeah. And then, You have to mean it. Okay. And then I said, and what do Kai and I get when you crack? And and you were like, I don't know. And I said, you have to tell us that we rule the world. Me and Kai are awesome. And that I'm <laughs> and completely we wrong. Right. And we were right and you were wrong. Yeah. So we're going to have updates for the rest of the podcast to see how far I can go. And you have to listen to the whole weekend CD. What the hell is that? Starboy. Statboy? That is not. That is one so when you look at the Starboy album. album cover, his head covers up. The, the right hand leg of the R so it looks like Stap Boy and almost like he's got staff infection okay. Staff Boy okay so so I'm doing great kind of prepared for I am uh, okay, 50 I minutes in so when I can I'll record Emily and Kai tell me that I'm great yep that's great and, and I'll give an update and record when the challenge is over as you're telling us all of that and when we start listening you oh start man listening. I got a big meeting at work tomorrow morning too <laughs> it's gonna be rough yeah, who's going to monitor you when we're not around? I'll tell you if I quit. I'll, I'll text Marie. <laughs> no, don't tell her. I'm going to tell her. I don't need the I office knowing you. that I'm not eating. I don't trust you. Why? They think you do weird stuff all the time. That, <laughs> You're that guy. I know, yeah. but still, I don't need that kind of drama. I'm that guy at work, Kai. So, how, so at night, are we going to have to set up a wire in the kitchen or something that <laughs> keeps the pantry closed and alarm will go off if... if Daddy like gets my, into it, guy. Hey, listen, yeah. listen, podcast friends. <laughs> when my brother and I were younger, we had a problem with sneaking down the stairs. We lived upstairs. My parents' uh, bedroom was downstairs. And my brother and I would sneak down the stairs in the middle of the night to look under the Christmas tree. This is your Christmas theme for this podcast. So look under the Christmas tree to see if there was any presents. And my parents' bedroom was kind of shared a wall with the stairwell, so I think they could probably hear us a little bit. And we were kind of youngish, so probably weren't all that smart. And then um, over the years, uh, something finally happened where my brother woke me up at like, I don't know, like 2 a.m. or something like that. And he said, come on, let's go. Let's go downstairs and go look. And I go, okay. So we start walking down the stairs and we get um, most of the, like halfway down the stairs, almost most of the way down the stairs. And all of a sudden there was the loudest crash banging you've ever heard. And it was so out of nowhere. It was almost like a ghost. Like attacked us or something it was so crazy and we ran upstairs and then we both went under the covers and uh and we we had bedrooms that were across a little hallway from each other and we could if i sat up i could look and see him sitting in bed and if he's you know same thing so our feet faced each other and uh and i remember us sitting up and looking at each other like what in the world was that and then after a few minutes my dad came upstairs and he uh he was like what are you boys doing? We were like, uh, nothing. We all, we were like, what was that, Dad? Because uh, honestly, we didn't know what it was. and, uh, and But we were trying to, like, we had nothing to do with it, which we weren't positive about yet. And then, um, so he goes back downstairs. So, like, a half an hour to an hour later, Mike and I, my brother's name is Mike, he, uh, he we, we started going downstairs again. And this time, my brother brought a flashlight or something like that. And with a flashlight, he goes, Brett, look, look. And there was a fishing line across the stairwell and then tied to a banister. And then the other end of it was tied to um, camping pots and pans, those metal pots and pans you take when you go camping. 
Um, look at all the buzz. Ever do this for Kai. Look at all those buzzards all over that foam pole or that. Uh, oh my god, it's covered in them. And then uh, so, and then they were those pans were hanging off the edge of a of uh, credenza is what they called it. Some cabinets in the front of our house, which had a hard tile floor. And so when you trip the wire. Yeah, yeah, wait. So if you trip the wire, it would pull the, just a touch to the to the fishing line would pull the pots and pans off, and then they would come crashing to the floor. And then my brother and I, uh, my brother shined the flashlight a little bit more around the edge of that room, and we could see the head, my dad's head, uh, kind of poking out just a little bit in his Vietnam sleeping bag. What? Well, he got it surplus from, it was a Korean sleeping bag, but his Vietnam era sleeping bag. And my dad went to Vietnam. He was, he was, he was a, uh, a Navy CB, which is, uh, they were in the trenches and stuff like that with the Marines taking hills and stuff in Vietnam. So all this tripwire, booby trap, all this crazy crap. Uh, my dad had, was reliving Vietnam in his, in his, in his drab olive mummy bag out there sleeping on the living room floor just waiting to catch me and my brother who were we were the Viet Cong he was waiting to catch us and then uh, so we with our I think with our that night with our flashlights we just looked kind of we could kind of see the the uh, my parents put stuff where we could kind of see it from there um, if with if you had flashlights you could see all the way across the house and kind of see but we couldn't get up close because it was too dangerous my dad was there back upstairs and then we just snuck back upstairs and then my brother and I we were upstairs talking we we're like god dad is insane that's when y'all figured that out <laughs> wow yeah yeah my dad's a little so nuts. what happened the next day did your parents say anything about the noise I don't remember now but I'm sure it's I'm just sure. like us now yeah, when we everything. when we tease uh, either Kai or his cousins that. about something they so did stupid. and we're like whoa that sure was a weird sound last night <laughs> With those pots and pans crashing, what was that? And then, like when y'all banged on John's windows, and, and then Mike and I were probably like, "Oh, I don't know, that was so weird." And, then, and my parents probably said, "Yeah, well, I think I heard footsteps, like little footsteps running back up in the bed." And uh, <laughs> next time we hang out with my parents, you got to ask them about that oh, because a that's a story that they never talk about, which they, I think they've just forgotten that how silly all that was. Okay. Okay. So, no booby traps. Well, I mean, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to win. I've got discipline. Okay, if I make it, but if I make it to one day, then I win. It's one day. Of no eating? No eating. One day. Okay. You said I couldn't even make it at all. So, so the pretzels was your last meal? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, my last meal was pretzels. And carrots. I hope it was good. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get off. I'm gonna get off the uh, mic now so that we have lots Save of updates. Look, we're at, we're almost at an hour. We are not in an hour. Look, since I ate, we stopped for gas over an hour ago. Yes. And then your last snack See? was like the denial ago. is already. You've been eating. You were <coughs> no. eating. I did not. You, you were I started. It. Okay, whatever. We can count. That's great. Okay, good. Get ready for your first apology. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> All right, we're back. It has been one hour since I started. I'm ready for my apology. 
Daddy, you're the best. You rule. Can't believe you've made it an hour. Woo! Oh, you're making bowing motions? Yeah. Kai? Uh, you're cool. And no, you had a... You're the best. I'm the best. Right. You're the best. And that you were wrong. And that I was right. For, <laughs> For one... Oh, so far. So far, right? You got all these little qualifiers in there. Kai, you had a question that you... What was your question, Kai? Are you not going to go, like, swim in the morning? I don't, I'm going to see how I feel. No, you can't change anything that you do. You have to do the same thing you normally oh, no. do. Oh, no. No, 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 no. It's... You do not want to... Bye. No, That's you don't want to work out and no, and fast. You just wouldn't eat for. Yeah, no, guys, you don't fast and work out like five I hours. That, but that's your normal. No, day. that's not. Don't try to change the rules. It's babe. not normal now, Mom. Come on. See, we're already let's running call, into problems. Let's call Ella and ask her if that's okay. No, you do you not. She said on her thing, if you were listening, to not I work listened. out. Yes, I listened for yeah. a long time. I listened better. Okay. Anyway, y'all. Quit talking over each other. What? <laughs> One hour down, everything's going smoothly. Yeah, <laughs> so far, so far, so good. Okay. Kyle, what do you want for dinner? Uh, oh, I like some spaghetti. Is that what yeah. sounds good? Why don't you shove it in your mouth? Wait, mom, really? What about Freebird? I like that. Oh, mom, really? What? How about Freebird? Y'all are gonna on purpose good? try to make me hungry. <laughs> this no, is that sounds good. good. Hold on, I'm Let's trying to get up a brownie. moment ourselves. With the uh, podcast audience over here, this is the family I live with. This is why I haven't qualified for Kona. Excuse me. Is this me? this undermining all my potential? Ow, Kai. Yes, you can ask me. All right, I'll be back in another hour when I continue when we're on. Done, you can take back what you just said. That's BS. I know, I was being silly. That's not funny. What is BS? Oh, now you're serious. Now what, that was hurtful. No. <laughs> Why are you laughing then? Okay, bye. All right. It's been another hour. I'm starting to get hungry. <laughs> Let's go, champ! Woo! Go, daddy! Woo-hoo! Ow, don't attack me, dog. Dog's don't so take st- Zoe's bone either, daddy. You yeah. cannot eat rawhide. Okay, so what are y'all going to do to eat? I'm not sure yet. I'm spaghetti. Spaghetti? The, the dogs are. I'm both. gonna eat discipline. Okay. okay. Taste okay. taste like glory. Daddy, I, you can have some of my bones. I'm getting tired and I'm getting hungry already though. Oh boy. Not really, but so a little bit. Oh, I did make. No. Okay. Um, um, so I'm, I'm gonna have a coffee. That's a diet Pepsi. Okay. Diet. <laughs> diet has zero <laughs> calories. That's that family. <laughs> I'm diet. Not, I'm not in a Siberian. Gulag. Kai is dressed in a dog blanket and he's laying on top of Kona. Right. Yeah, God. I am cold because it's freaking cold outside. This is the same day that here in Texas it got down to 22 degrees. And so you can conserve your energy. Kai unloaded the whole car by herself, by the way. You're welcome. Okay. That's, doesn't, that's not an on. Yeah. I've been wearing shorts and flip-flops. I saw. Yeah, I saw that. I saw really cool uh, magnets. Okay. Okay, signing off. Let's go, champ. Woo! <laughs> oh, great. This is this is my life. Joe Rogan. Okay. Joe, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Pick me up at the airport. All right, it's been another hour, baby. What's up? How's it going over there? I'm doing great. It's been another hour. So what do you say? You're the best, Daddy. Good job. Kai. Hello, Daddy. You're great. I'm great. Suji's not impressed. Our cat is not impressed. He's like, talk to me when you've lived on the street, man. Got my butt facing you, daddy. I'm facing my butt towards you to show you how much I don't respect you. Yeah. He, he attacked 
attempted to go out for two seconds and he oh, ran yeah. back We in. left the door open by accident. And then he realized how cold it was. It's from your low blood sugar. See, people that eat make bad decisions. That was your fault. People that eat make bad decisions. Yes, me not eating. I'm not the one that left the door open. See how already I'm better? Hey. Hey. All right. Okay. All right, Daddy. Update in another hour. I'm doing it. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Are we here? Let me adjust the microphone. Hello. Hello. All right. What about now? Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. We are back. I'm in the Zentri Mobile Studios. Well, that fasting experiment was both a success and a failure. If you learn something, then it's uh, not entirely a failure. You move on. And what did I learn? Uh, Fasting sucks. I uh, was doing just fine. And then the second half of the uh, fasting experiment went into uh, a full workday. After uh, exercise is a great habit, especially when you can't break the habit, you want to keep going. And so I biked Monday morning for an hour. I even posted the workout. Uh, I tweeted it to Zen Triathlon on Twitter, Twitter, Twitter nets. And uh, it takes forever to get going and you feel kind of sluggish and not all that great. And then, you know, by the end of the workout, yeah, you're doing okay. Everything's turned on, activated, and you're doing fine. But it's just not ideal, you know, and that's okay. Um, I didn't bonk. That's the whole thing. If there's a there's a uh, thing I learned that you can bonk, and actually you can train yourself to survive the bonk. And the more often you do it, you can actually um, the bonk becomes less severe. Your body quits overreacting to it, and your your mind quits overreacting, going, "Oh my God, I got to stop." You just slow down, and then after a little while, your body um, kicks in. Uh, it's recovery systems and it's alternate energy systems and you can keep going just almost as good as you were before just no uh, no uh, super high end kind of stuff but the um, and so I would bonk it 20 minutes in bonk at uh, 30 minutes in bonk at 45 minutes in on no fuel and then bonk never and each time the bonk would get less and less uh, noticeable this was a while back I figured this out that if you start to bonk you uh, because there's this thing like oh once you bonk once you bonk it's over no it's not over once you start to bonk slow way down and um, then you can uh, keep going after 15 20 minutes but anyway you're you uh, you actually feel okay and can keep going but uh, I had I had a meeting at 8.30 a.m. on Monday morning, and I survived through that, but I noticed I was just sleepy, and I, I wasn't spacey, but I, I'm on, I get called to the carpet, and I have to report on things, and so I'm sitting there going, well, we did this, and we did that, and I'm just speaking more slowly than usual, and um, taking a little bit longer to um, uh, access memory banks, and go, yeah, we did this, and we did that, and to answer questions. And I only have to talk for about 10 minutes. But then it's what we did over the past two weeks at my job. And I'm in charge of some people in a big system. And so I have to talk about, uh, you know, what we did and all that. 
major things that happened and things that are going to happen. Uh, the meetings kind of suck, but also they're kind of they're kind of good. <laughs> and the um, the next thing was by lunchtime, I'm just kind of like a zombie, and so it's more of a timing thing. I was sitting there thinking, you know, if I if I didn't schedule this half on a on a weekend and half on a workday, um, maybe you know either in the entire weekend or um, the the entire workday, where I just sleep. You know, and then don't try to work out, just sleep. But I, I'm not sure about if the whole fasting thing is useful. Um, it's just more like bonking is useful, uh, allowing yourself to bonk on rare occasion and then uh, be used to it's kind of like running downhill. You don't have to run downhill all the time to make your legs tough. You just kind of let yourself run out of glucose, uh, blood sugar, carbohydrate stores on rare occasion, and then access the fat stores uh, system. So it's not just a shock to the system um, when, it, when you do do it. And then the system's more ready and available all the time. But anyway, so I made it till 5 o'clock. And I was grumpy and tired. And Emily wanted to, Emily and Kyle were like, are we going to record more? You did it. And <coughs> coffee, <coughs> wrong pipe. <coughs> and I said, no, I'm not in the mood. I'm just not in the freaking mood. And now this is like two, three days later, uh, two and a half days later, and I'm just now finally recovering energy-wise from not eating for a day. And um, it's been it's been sucky, man. It's just been sucky. And uh, so my my uh, my result analysis is either thumbs down or thumbs down on the way I did it, you know, just, uh, I, I had to start the past two days. I've had to miss workouts and stuff cause I just didn't have the energy and it's just been crappy. Uh, but aside from that, my, um, uh, I would get on the bike. Like last night I got on the bike and then after two minutes I quit. I'm just like, I don't have the energy. It's more damn. I need to sleep instead. Yesterday morning I needed this. I got up, got ready to work out and then just needed to sleep. Um, I haven't swam since then, and it just sucks. But uh, the upside is, is this morning I finally got my energy back. Oh, and I've started to eat green smoothies. And again, because uh, my weight's going up as I'm healing my plantar fasciitis, I'm exercising less, and uh, weight is, I've gained 10 pounds, 12 pounds, something like that. And I know a sure way to bring that weight back down is to start eating green smoothies again. Actually, I like to call them blue smoothies because I put blueberries in. And, you know, you got to kind of own that a little bit. And uh, when I eat green smoothies, when I eat two leaves of kale a day mixed into some kind of smoothie, um, that's not too high in sugar. It's just sweet enough to, um, to uh, tolerate or, you know, you get used to it. Uh, then... Um, then, man, my weight starts going down because I'm so full of fiber and, and whatever. And we'll get into smoothies on the next episode about what I'm doing. But that brings your weight down so fast and makes you feel good. I noticed uh, yesterday was day one of reintroducing proper green smoothies mixed in a Vitamix and stuff into my, um, into my, into my day. I make a big one, and then I drink it over the day, and I'll tell you how I do that uh, next episode. Um, I... Uh, uh, I noticed I, I wasn't going for the coffee pot 
anywhere near as much as before. I just didn't even think of it. I just had energy and it's lots to do with blueberries, man. Blueberries are so freaking good for you and give you energy and it's full of vitamins. It's actually kind of what energizes you is what you're missing. Whatever you're missing is uh, good. So if you're topped off on greens, then uh, more greens isn't going to help. But if you're not getting many berries and stuff like that, maybe blueberries are what you need. Or cranberries. Oh, my God, those are so good. You can throw those in a smoothie. Talk about a killer flavor. Anyway, um, I need to go in and... Uh, oh, I got one more thing, but I'll talk about it in a second. All right, we're back. Okay, the last thing I wanted to say is my energy levels are, <laughs> are back up. And to avoid re-injuring my plantar fasciitis, you know, I'm avoiding biking and running. But I've replaced it with weightlifting. If you got the habit, man, you don't want to lose the habit. So you need to do something... That's the worst thing is to lose the habit. The habit of exercising is the hardest thing to gain. So I was lifting free weights. I've been lifting free weights a lot lately, which we'll talk more about next episode, what I'm doing and stuff. Because I found a, a nice routine that's good for triathletes again and uh, with little modifications from last time. And uh, But this morning, I woke up Kai by lifting free weights in his room. <laughs> so it's time for him to wake up anyway. So I walk into his room with two dogs. One of them's 100 pounds. The other one's uh, 50 pounds. And I start lifting weights, uh, free weights, overhead press with dumbbells in his room. And uh, the dogs start jumping around. They're getting all excited, jumping on his bed, jumping down. And Kai's yelling, stop, dad, stop. And I'm like, lift one, lift two, one broken arm, two broken arm. And he's like, oh, my God, dad, uh, cut it out. But then he starts kind of liking it. And, um, and he's watching me. And what I'm doing is setting the example of um, exercising in the morning, that it's okay to lift weights, and I'm making the day fun. And um, also, I was thinking long-term, I'm wanting him to move out of the house when he's able to. <laughs> it's like, I need to go to college, or I need to get a job and move out of here because dad is insane. Uh, it's hard to leave home uh, unless you've got reasons that you start adding up. And it's like, man, dad needs, dad's going to keep driving me crazy if I keep staying around here. And I know that's way down the line, way down the line, but you know, you got to start planting those seeds early. And then he, um, uh, but then he, he got up and got all excited and started uh, picking up some of the weights with me. You know, he's like, holy cow, that's heavy, you know, and it wasn't really, it's was just 25 pounds, but he's little. So the, uh, the fun thing is uh, I was thinking waking up your kid by lifting weights in the room. I'm definitely probably never going to do that again, but you know, just doing it once to show, um, what's possible and, um, and getting your day kicked off in a good mood is kind of funny. Okay, wherever I left off was uh, non-consequential because now I am leaving the pool with my rock star training buddy, Kai. What's up? Ha Say it again. What's up? Uh, hashtag go Kai on Twitter and maybe the Instagrams. But anyway, I just had one of the most epic swim workouts because it went by really fast. And I did an hour, and I uh, didn't know where the time went. Like, it just went by so fast. So I want to explain how I did it so that you can do the same thing and make your swim workouts go by really fast while getting in an hour's long swim. And it's really cool. So first, you need toys. Toys uh, keep the brain entertained. And the toys I used today was this, uh, the, the most important one that's new is this Finisse, F-I-N-I-S, Finisse. Um, God, it's like a pull boy axis 
I think it's called. Pull axis, something like that. But anyway, it's a pull boy that goes between your legs, but it's got two holes in it that also you can put your ankles in and swim with it so it's holding up your ankles uh, instead of uh, between your thighs. And crazily enough, you can also hold it in your hands if you wanted to. It works as a pull boy too, but you can also hold it in your hands pretty easily and use it as a kickboard. So with one, uh, you know, twenty, thirty dollar gadget, it's um, it's three things. So it's huge, huge uh, bonus right there. So I had that, and then I had uh, paddles. And again, Finesse makes a really good. Um, Emily just sent me a text message on my Sunto. Let's see. She's got chili, veggie chili. Wait for us when we get home. So I've got uh, Finesse paddles, hand paddles, the ones with no straps. They're strapless. And I love those. I've talked about them plenty now lately. And then a drag chute. And I don't remember if it was Speedo or Finesse. But I've got the bigger drag chute. And I think that's all the toys that I used. And um, the coolest thing about those is you can combine them. Uh, so you've got uh, pool boy or ankle boy, whatever, with um, no paddles, but with paddles, with no drag shoot, but or with drag shoot, with with drag shoot and no paddles, with drag shoot and paddles. And so you have all these different combinations of stuff. But what I did was, first off, of course, doing uh, just pool boy or ankles, nothing else. And that sets you up for a nice clean stroke. 400 yards, and then 100 yards, um, just regular freestyle after that. And and then uh, 50 yards kick. And what I did, I just kept doing that. I kept doing 400 yards of some kind of toy and then 100 yards uh, plain freestyle, and then 50 yards uh, kick, over and over and over again. And what was cool was the um, the 400 yards was always different. It was always some other thing. And with I'm wearing the Sunto uh, Spartan Ultra, and you know, it says your distance that you've been swimming on it. And so I would just go, okay, let's go another another 400 yards with this. So like one time I would do drag shoot and uh, pool boy or ankle boy. And another time I would do uh, just paddles. And another time I would do, um, I'm trying to think, just ankle boy. Uh, ankle boy and drag shoot. That's a fun combination for real. And uh, so I don't remember how many I did. Maybe five. Anyway, I did over 3,000, 3,500 yards or something like that. And the time absolutely flew by. I've never had a swim practice go by that fast. And it was just enough variation to, um, to give you something uh, to keep the mind entertained. And you just switch as fast as you can between things and just keep on going. So that was really cool. And also, um, I want to go ahead and wrap up the show now with this uh, part of the training log. And... Uh, say that I uh, switched. This is a plantar fasciitis uh, recovery tip. You're starting to get plantar fasciitis, got plantar fasciitis, and you're like, oh man, well one, uh, you gotta be really careful. The bike may be uh, making it worse. And it definitely does for me. And I put these uh, Harrier VP giant uh, flat pedals. They're super thin, but they're real big. They're awesome. And uh, put them, they're really lightweight too. 
put them on the uh, put them on my tri bike. It looks crazy. Have a Trek speed concept with uh, big flat pedals on it. But the flat pedals look real high tech. So as long as everything looks high tech, it all matches. It's pretty neat. And then I put um, on uh, running shoes, and I basically pedaled with my heels instead of my uh, forefoot. Or as much as I looked down, it really wasn't my heels. It was more like way back midfoot, very much midfoot. Um, but you can't get that with clipless bike shoes. You can't get those cleats back very far. And that's what causes strain on your plantar fasciitis, and it just keeps irritating, irritating, irritating. And I um, did this thing with the pedals. Now, the thing is, is if you go flat pedals and you want to move way forward on those pedals so that the pedals are way back on your foot so they don't irritate your plantar fasciitis. And by the way, this really worked. It was awesome. Had a great workout. No hint of plantar fasciitis uh, strain, anything like that. And put out like great watts. Towards the end, I was doing... 350 maybe 400 watts of uh, on an interval felt nothing nothing uh in the plantar fasciitis and it felt great to be able to do a hard interval like that uh, after months of of pedaling easy trying not to um try not to irritate the plantar fasciitis but still kind of irritating it just a little bit because um, the cleats are so far forward you know but to get the if you're going to try to get your your feet further forward on the pedals um, you need to drop and uh, move forward your your saddle quite a bit um, I dropped mine probably a couple centimeters and then pushed it forward a couple centimeters and uh, that really moved me forward on the saddle and uh, moved me forward over the cleats so basically the position was exactly the same. And then you think, oh, am I gonna lose all kinds of power because I'm not using my calves as much, I'm just using my heels. And no, um, once I got used to the position after 10, 15 minutes of pedaling like that, settled in, and then all of a sudden I was uh, running uh, or biking uh, same watts or more watts as than, uh, than usual, so there you go. And then on top of that, it made me think, I did the same thing, I went out running and on purpose, I was landing on, I was heel striking and trying not to use my forefoot at all. And um, this is all plantar fasciitis tips, by the way. I would not recommend this if you don't have any plantar fasciitis problems um, because landing on your heel on purpose all the time, um, I could tell if I did that uh, fast or a lot, um, then I would, uh, I could tell it was starting or did it suddenly for a lot, all my mileage and stuff that it would uh, start irritating my knees. That slamming into the knees is not good. And the uh, the thing, I, but anyway, it worked. I got in a, a six mile run with um, just the slightest twinge of plantar fasciitis pain. And that's because I wasn't doing that kind of running at first. Um, I was running uh, like I normally do. And I got a little plantar fasciitis pain. And then I switched about two miles in, maybe three miles in. I go, hmm, I'm going to try running like exclusively, like purposefully try to run on my heels. And it was awkward at first, but then once I, like, like the bike, once I settled in on the forum, I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. I got it, got it down, you know? Um, but again, you know, you gotta watch out for the knees. So take this, take this with a grain of salt. And I was sitting there running going, you know what? I'm actually really enjoying this, you know, uh, but I'm not using any calf muscles. 
because that's what happens with plantar fasciitis. Your calves uh, get just chronically inf- uh, contracted, and it's pulling on your um, plantar fasciitis tendon, and that gets inflamed, and then your calves just never really let go, and because they're chronically pumped, you know, and that shortens everything, and now your plantar fasciitis is is a, a mess, and so and inflamed, and it just doesn't ever want to go down. And then I thought, wait a minute, the fastest runners in the world for long distance are these Kenyan guys that, and Ethiopian guys that you can see have, there's a guy in my neighborhood that's built exactly like one of them. In fact, I know two guys, black guys, that have this build, and they have no calf muscles. I mean, they're just like sticks. And the, uh, they're not using their calves at all because they don't have any. So it just goes to show you that actually you really don't need your calves very much to be a great long distance runner. And then the other thing is, oh, um, those of you that are long-term listeners of the show know that I had a greyhound for a long time. And Roxy, the awesome greyhound, and we got her as a puppy. Um, so had her for 12, 13 years. Um, and you know, greyhounds run 40 something miles an hour. They're just incredible runners. And and a lot, all dogs are like this actually, but greyhounds are, are uh, particularly good examples of this. They've got big butt muscles. And then as it goes down the thigh, it gets smaller and smaller. And then the, um, the lower half of the leg is like twigs. There's nothing there. And, uh, and they're incredibly fast. So you don't really need to be engaging your calves to be a uh, great runner. Except I guess if you're running hard uphill, it gives you an extra little bit of push. But I was sitting there running along going, is this bad, you know, for me not to be using my calves? And then I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> the best runners in the world physically can't use their calves. Uh, now, sprinters can. So Usain Bolt, because that's for acceleration, all right? But once you're up to speed, you're just pogoing. You're just bouncing along. And the less weight and the less everything you have at the end of your leg, the better you are. And I thought, you know, the best runners in the world don't use their calves. Then I don't really need to worry about it that much. Get over it. Just be careful. Uh, Run in with uh, your form like that. Now, in cycling, I think people say you use your calves. But maybe that's more for accelerations and sprints and not so much for um, just constant endurance speed like what we do in long distance triathlon I don't know. I'd have to think about that I'd have to prove it to myself with all my gadgets anyway uh, that's it I think next episode I might talk about the zen concept of the hungry ghost and also uh, more uh, green smoothie fun maybe we'll talk about it alright All right, everybody stay safe out there, work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Hey, Kai, say out. Out! All right, out.